For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. 11 minutes after nine. Good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. Of course, it's Friday and it being Friday, we'll have free food Friday to give you all the details about nothing's changed and the food is just as good. Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. Uh, get your entries ready. No need to text right now. We'll give you the number uh, over the course of the next hour or so. But we will be giving away fantastic food. Uh, and you can check out all of the uh, fun of the fair as regards the range there at roosterspiripiri.com. Let's go to the morning papers. Hospitality Vat Hike has the Echo's front page. The owners say the math just doesn't add up. Rita Graham reporting that restaurant owners in Cork have described the move by the government to increase the 9% VAT rate to 13.5% for midnight last night as a disappointing decision that will force closures. Uh, They're not increasing it from uh, an ever-existing rate. Of course, uh, the hospitality sector had been enjoying a reduction uh, brought about by lack of business in COVID. But we're hoping to hold on to that 9% instead of 13.5%. Now, government extended the lower rate of 9%, which was originally introduced as an intervention during the COVID-19 pandemic for the final time in February. And this was flagged. But it's still a bitter pill to swallow going back up. Uh, and the move back to 13.5% went ahead, despite last-minute pleas by business organisations for its retention. I imagine the government were well prepared that they were going to get these pleas. Uh, speaking to the Echo, Kevin Ahern, the owner of Sage Restaurant in Middleton, heard brilliant reports about that, uh, questioned why the government has made the, the, the decision not to extend again the special VAT rate of 9%. And what he says makes great sense, actually. There's no restaurant looking for a handout. A helping hand and a handout are two different things. But it is particularly bad timing going into the off-season and in general because costs of electricity are going to go up as well in the winter. Now you've got the fuel rates of course going up today, you've got electricity rates going up, staff costs are going up, Uh, the cost of uh, refuse removal is going up, the cost of products is going up and now we've got the VAT rate going up the maths just doesn't work uh, says the owner of Sage in Middleton, Kevin Ahern. Uh, three price hikes actually in waste disposal as I mentioned fuel and hospitality taking uh, effect from midnight just gone by three price increases come immediately into effect with an end to reduce taxes on motor fuel and hospitality coinciding with extra charges for uh, unrecycled household waste a new levy on customers takes effect tonight under the waste management um, this often gets uh, didn't get much mentioned yesterday by the way because, of course, the uh, the immediate and more pressing ones, I suppose, uh, the things you can't avoid is the uh, plus seven uh, cent on average on fuel. Depends if it's uh, diesel or petrol. Could be six, could be nine. Uh, and 13.5%, up from 9%, the new VAT rate. But plus 10 euro, a new levy taking effect on September 1st today, which introduces a waste recovery levy of 10 euro per tonne um, for 1,000 kilogram and uh, a 10 euro increase in the existing landfill levy to 85 euro per tonne. So that's going to uh, increase. Uh, well, they are trying to get people to recycle more and not to put recyclable material into the, uh, you know, the different colour bins that are there for, for uh, biodegradable waste and, and rotting veg and all that sort of stuff. Um, refuse collection providers will increase their prices 
to offset the impact on their business of the levy, uh, on their business by the levy, I suppose you should say, uh, which aims to encourage recycling and reduce the amount of waste that goes to landfill. Uh, in an email to customers this week, Panda said there would be a charge of 0.01, so one cent per kilogram of general waste collected from customers' homes. The levy would be subject to VAT, of course, uh, on the uh, 13.5%. Value-added tax, of course, getting your rubbish collected is a luxury, is it? Uh, which would be referenced and calculated uh, as a separate line item on any invoice related to general waste. Everything's going up. Once the petrol and diesel go up, everything follows. And it's making all the papers today. Looking at the sun, tax for nothing. As petrol to rise, the cost of a litre of petrol looks set to break the €2 euro mark when a new tax hike puts €10 euro on the price of a full tank. And in a double whammy for uh, consumers, restaurants, of course, due to dish up another price increase on bills as their VAT rate returns to normal. Normal being 13.5%. Eating out of pocket, same story, says the mirror, VAT rise in hospitality to hit customers. Uh, the return to the old rate will see a meal costing €50 euro rise by €2.25. Uh, half a million adults living with their parents uh, has the Daily Mail front page. I actually do have the full census report, which we might dip into during the course of the programme. Makes for some stark reading, actually, on lifestyle changes and living changes in Ireland. But the number of adults still living with their parents has risen to well over half a million and the government is being blamed for failing to provide affordable housing. New analysis shows that the number of adults living with their parents now stands at 522,486, or 13% of the population. That represents a rise of about uh, 83,000 in 11 years, or some 7,500 more adults every year having to live with their parents as the population continues to grow amid a housing shortfall as rents and house prices rocket. Uh, Same story in The Independent. Over half a million adults still live with their parents. The latest census figures are showing. Darren Nolan reporting there. The highest rent here, says the Echo, is in the southeast of the city. The Cork City southeast electoral area was found to have the highest rental costs in the county for people taking up residency in the first quarter of this year, according to new data published by the Residential Tenancies Board. The average cost of rent in the area for people moving into new properties uh, currently stands at €1,656 per month. This comes in more than €112 over the national standardised average rent of new tenancies, which is just over €1,544. Back to the, uh, the mail today. The worst August on record, not for weather, for hospital overcrowding. Last month was the worst August on record for hospital overcrowding, uh, which nurses have described as worrying and a warning shot for winter in our hospitals. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation said last month the worst August for overcrowding that was experienced since it began counting people waiting on trolleys with more than 9,720 patients admitted to hospital without a bed. I'm looking for some good news today. I made 12 million from a drug gang that killed Veronica. Uh, that's good news for John Gilligan, not good news for anybody else. Gangster John Gilligan, now given his own uh, platform, I think, uh, and uh, going to have his own programme, documentary made about him, said he made 12 million euro selling drugs with the men convicted of Veronica Geeran's murder. Uh, the pint-sized thug 
agreed to speak for a TV documentary and a book chronicling his life, serialised uh, in today's Irish Mirror. He's 70 years of age now, uh, 70, is considered by Gardy to have ordered the hit on journalist Gearin, but insists he was not involved. But he made 12 million from a drug gang that killed Veronica, he said. Uh, same story makes the front of uh, The Sun today. Uh, Gilligan says, I'm going to hell. Vile gangster John Gilligan has admitted what we all know. He's going to hell. The pint-sized thug also uh, tells... Uh, they keep referring to his size, and I know it's something I think he, he's very sensitive about, but I'm just uh, reading out the, uh, the text here. The pint-sized thug also tells how the 1956 murder of uh, journalist Veronica... Uh, 1996, I beg your pardon, that's a typo... Uh, Mark, mark the beginning of the end for him. Ireland's first major drug trafficker uh, opens up on his life and crime in a new Virgin Media show. Asked if he'll end up in hell, repulsive Gilligan confesses, if there is one, yeah. Uh, a Garda a day, by the way, is hurt in the line of duty. Uh, report in the Daily Star today, 32 officers injured in July, up to 32 Garda equivalent to one a day, uh, or just a little more, were injured in the line of duty nationwide in July, which is more than the previous month. Uh, uh, Lord Mayor has honoured Corkonians with prestigious awards. And why not? Lord Mayor of Cork, Kieran McCarthy, has recognised the work and passion of two prominent Corkonians by awarding the Historian of the Year and Lifetime Achievement Award to John Hennessy and Paddy O'Brien, respectively, at a private ceremony in uh, City Hall. Paddy, of course, good friend of the Neil Prendeville Show. Uh, Mr. O'Brien, a Spangle Hill native. Haven't heard that. I had relations, I'm told, uh, many, many years ago on Spangle Hill. Uh, but Mr. O'Brien is a Spangle Hill native, uh, recognised for his work founding and running the Over 60s Talent Competition for more than 40 years. He continues to highlight the problems of loneliness faced by older people and advocates for their needs. So well done also to Mr. Hennessy uh, from Cove. John Hennessy from Cove was awarded the title of Historian of the Year for his role as President of the Great Island Historical Society. Good Carconians being recognised by our first citizen, Kieran McCarthy. Dodgy box. Lots of people have them. Uh, it was the talk of uh, many of the pub counters last night, I would imagine. Dodgy box traders told to switch off suppliers. Uh, they're not targeting the public, uh, the users at the moment, but the suppliers could face legal action. Alleged suppliers of illegal streaming boxes have been warned to cease and desist or face being sued. Uh, those who uh, are broadcasting lobby group claims are supplying the boxes in seven counties have been sent legal letters warning them they could face criminal charges unless they stop immediately. Could be the beginning of the end for the very cost-competitive dodgy boxes. Massive blaze in South Africa kills at least 73. You'll have heard it on our news bulletin and we'll talk about it a little later on on the programme. At least 73 people have died in a fire in a multi-storey building uh, believed to have been used by homeless people in South Africa's biggest city, Johannesburg. Emergency services said some of the people may have died after they threw themselves out of windows to escape the blaze, a local government official said. And as I mentioned, we'll be talking with uh, someone with a core connection to the whole thing later on on the programme. Vera Powers accused the FAI of reneging on a promise, making most of the sports pages today. Hell hath no fury like Vera Powell being denied a contract as uh, a contract extension from the Football Association of Ireland, says Gavin Comiskey uh, on the front page 
of the Irish Times. The FAI Board of Directors voted last Tuesday to cut ties with a Dutch woman after four years as the Republic of Ireland manager, just a month after she guided the team to their first World Cup finals. Nearly there. Eye of the Storm names released for the new season. You'll have heard this on the news as well. Uh, Irish names like Agnes, Fergus and Kathleen. Is Agnes an Irish name or a Scottish name? Uh, have been chosen by Met Erin for the upcoming storm season. Uh, it officially starts today, first meteorological day of autumn, of course. Others like Jocelyn, Lillian, Nicholas and Vincent were also selected for the list of names that will be allocated this winter. Um, a spokesperson for the National Weather Service says Met Erin, along with the National Weather Services of the UK, which is the Met Office, and the Netherlands, which is the KNMI, uh, have released the list of the storm names for the coming season. They're named um, when they could cause medium or high impacts in one of the three partner countries. And this enables consistent, authoritative messaging to support the public to prepare for and say, stay safe during potential, uh, potentially severe weather events. I think ironically you'll find that uh, often the strongest and most dangerous of storms have uh, a very sort of light names that you wouldn't attach with strength. It reminded me of uh, the Billy Connolly thing on the Serengeti plane. Agnes. Betty. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 27 minutes past nine. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show on Friday the 1st of September. This is Mick Mulcahy and we welcome Cahill Keevney in to studio. Good morning to you, Cahill. Uh, morning, Mick. Thanks to you and your team for allowing us to be with you this no, morning. No, it's, it's, it's a sad but important reason that you are here. Uh, you, you're an uncle of John Keaveney. John is missing, and and we'd like to take it from the start so that we can perhaps jog people's memories. Um, and, and let's begin with John being on holiday with his with his wife and children. Yeah, John was down here in Cork with his three kids, and uh, they were having a great holiday. Everything was great. He was playing with the kids in, in the hotel and John suffered from epilepsy. He's been suffering from epilepsy for about the last 10 years and he had a, an epileptic episode and uh, they called the ambulance and the ambulance took him and brought him to Cork University Hospital. Um, nothing really unusual in that. For Some people have epilepsy, they do have episodes, they go to hospital, uh, they rest, they do a few tests and then they just come home. So it, it, it's nothing really unusual. And the medication for epilepsy is now quite powerful and quite effective. Very, very. And John was on medication. Mm-hmm. So you'd think everything would be all right. Um, so uh, he was in Cork University Hospital. And what we think is he had a sec- second epileptic episode. And uh, he got dar- disorientated. And he was in there on the Saturday night in Cork University Hospital, wanted to keep him in for more tests on the Sunday. Would it be unusual for John to have the second one in, in relation to his history of epilepsy? No, not not very unusual. Um, I, I'd say more um, occasional. Okay. But it was nothing to cause grave concern, put it that way. It's just one of these things when you live with a condition like that, you sort of, acclimatise is the wrong word, but you learn to live with it and you it learn has to, to be managed. manage it. Yeah. Of course. The really surprising thing about this is that um, on Sunday, the hospital has him in to do tests. Adrian is minding the kids, but obviously um, keeping uh, close attention. Um, and John just decides I don't want to, to be here leave anymore. the hospital. I don't want to be here anymore. And the hospital can't, can't hold him there. Mm. 
So he just walks out the door. And we think that because of the epileptic episode that he had, he wasn't thinking uh, straight and um, he was disorientated. Disorientated, excuse me. And um, he just headed off into Cork City Centre. And didn't he go to Wilton to get a phone charger? Yeah, because Cork University Hospital beside Wilton. Yeah. So John would have worked in Cork previously and uh, he knew Wilton Shopping Centre. In fact, he knew all the shopping centres. And uh, he probably would have been familiar to go into Wilton, get a phone charger, and for some reason, head into town. Whether he thinks in his mind to meet somebody or whatever, but um, that's the last information that we have of him until later on, actually, on Sunday night. And how is his mind working, to your knowledge, uh, at at this stage, based on the historic episodes? Has there ever been any um, effect of uh, an epileptic incident where he started to do things that would be untoward for him or maybe he acted a little strangely. No, 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 no. This is totally out of character for mm. John. Totally out of character for John. We feel he was disorientated, right, um, and headed into town for some reason and we think he may have gone into shops, right, or any other outlets in town to try and charge his phone. So if anybody saw him in town on that Sunday afternoon, you know, please let us know. Later on Sunday evening, uh, because we're trying to contact him throughout the day on his phone, right, but he wasn't answering his phone, we did catch him on his phone and uh, he was, seemed to be a little bit more lucid at that point, right, but we organised a hotel for him in the Isaac Hotel in McCurtain Street and he said he was going there and when we checked with the Isaac Hotel, um, he never checked in and that is the real worry. This is where it's totally out of character for John. So we think, basically, looking in retrospect, while he might have had some lucid moments, we think actually the disorientation was coming back yeah. and was affecting them. So, was facing so he, lost his, of... he lost his lucid moments, yeah. put it that way. So we thought he was safe, and then the next thing, he's just gone. Okay, am I correct that he did make it to Isaacs and walked past? Yeah, I think he made it to Isaacs when they checked it, but I think he walked past. So that's why we think the disorientation kicked in again. Because I think um, he didn't realise he was there. Mm. Once he was, he actually didn't realise cognitively that he's there, and he kept going. So actually he missed it. Yeah, he missed it. And if ironically, if, if he had been lucid, he might have checked in, uh, went up and had a rest. You could have gathered around him. It might have had a much different ending, but he never checked in. Yeah, John in his work, he was an IT specialist and he travelled all around Ireland and very often he'd be working on jobs where they could go into late in the night and he'd have to find, you know, how to call it, emergency accommodation, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. So he was used to finding accommodation. He was used to checking himself into hotels um, at short notice. So with John, you'd normally think that this is normal for him. You know, we'll, 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 he'll be organised for himself. Um, but as I said, um, just bafflingly, he just never checked into the hotel. And the next information we have with him is that he's heading down possibly the Centre Park Road to the Marina Walkway. And the last possible sighting we have of him is, we think, now it, it's not totally distinguishable, but you look at the timeline, they picked him up on CCTV. I think it's the Circle K section, just as you go into the yeah. Centre Park Road. Um, and then using a timeline, uh, we think we have him passing Park at Kiev at about 1.45am on the morning of Monday the 21st. Now, the thing about John is, as I said, huge music fan. Right. The biggest music fan I've ever known. 
He's a big fan of Oasis. He's gone to a concert, is he? Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, he was going to Noel Gallagher um, just a couple of weeks later. Flying Birds. Or the week later, and that was his big focus, right? Because he never missed an Oasis or, or a Liam or an old gig. Um, and I would have thinking that if he was disorientated, he might have been heading to the marquee thinking that there was a gig on and he'd meet some people. Because if he went to the marquee, if he went to... Kilmainham, if he was at Electric Picnic uh, picnic this weekend, he'd know so many people. He was so well known amongst that... On the uh, music circuit. Of the, of, the, of the music circuit. And uh, so that was our, be- our, our thought, our belief. Um, but after Parky Keeve, um, we're just baffled where, where he might have gone to. Now, he would have known people, um, and we've checked everybody who's known in Cork, but um, in Mahan, Ballon Temple, all around that area... Um, you know, he might have a friend through his music connections that we don't know personally of that he might be with, and they may not realise that um, we're actually out there looking for him. Mm. And of course, you did manage to speak to him by phone, but that phone was dying quickly yes. of its charge. Do you know if he bought a charger in Wilton or was that able to be found out? I think he had a charger, right? But I don't think it had the, I think it just had a USB. Um, and it didn't have a yeah, okay. three-pin plug into it. So uh, unless he's not an electronic device to actually plug it into, we think he would have been in trouble. What about tracing the phone, whether it's active or whether it's switched off? Is that an option? Uh, we don't know as far our, our understanding is the phone went dead. So we don't know whether mm. it was actually switched off or the power went completely. Um, knowing John, um, I mean, he was connected to his phone, like all of us. So there's no reason for John to actually turn his phone off. Uh, he would never do that. He would never do that. Okay. But maybe he's disoriented and when, when it died, he didn't charge it again. Absolutely. It can, I, it can still be traced, is my belief. Yep, yep, yep. And I think that the last information we have about the phone would have been in, a, in town on the, on, the, on the Sunday night. Yeah. Nothing after that. So I think that um, with John, the thing about John is John was... He's the friendliest, most generous, one of the friendliest, most generous men I know. And in Dublin, um, he talked to anybody. And actually, um, he was particularly friendly with the people, the unfortunate people who live on the streets. And he'd sit down and he'd give them money or he'd give them food. But he'd sit down and talk to them for 20 minutes. Uh Not a problem. He was very empathetic towards people, right? And one of the things we're thinking about is that um, if he met somebody who um, lived on the streets and uh, befriended them, that he might be with them somewhere. Mm. Um, still not knowing where he is because... And they're looking after him because they he, maybe he hasn't communicated with them that family could be looking or... Well, with the medication that John was on and he wouldn't have his meds now, right? The worrying thing is you don't know what the effect of several epileptic episodes is going to be. And part of that could be amnesia. So John could be out there not really knowing who he is or where he is, but because he was had such an attachment with people, once he was with people, right, he probably felt feels he he belongs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a sense of belonging. A, a, a sense of belonging, absolutely. And a sense of community. Because, um, again, with the music fraternity that he socialised with, I mean, he had friends all over the world online. Yeah. And, all and, over the world online. And you've checked the temporary residential offerings like Simon and... Yeah, we, we, we've checked everywhere. Um, we've checked the, um, the soup kitchens. And uh, just to give a huge shout out, I mean, Katrina Toomey 
for Penny, Penny Dinners. Dinners has been probably one of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. Um, she's helped us 14, 15, 16 hours a day, every day. She'd have the network of connections too. Absolutely. And uh, she knows all the people. She knows where they, where they live. Um, and she's networked with them and they've actually seen or heard nothing. Katrina's also gone out there and um, just searched with us. And um, her knowledge and her understanding um, has been just hugely supportive mm. and hugely helpful. Yeah, the woman uh, should be sainted. Uh, uh, several times, uh, Mick, several times, you know. How, yeah. how, are, how are the family coping, Cahill? What, what's it been like for them in, in their search and in their anguish and in their worry? Well, you can only just imagine. Um, see, the funny thing at the beginning of this, I mean, John is such a resourceful strong man you, you, you'd never expect him to end up in this trouble mm. um, if I had a problem with my computer or if I had any problem um, John was very purposeful in, in fixing it and he could fix it either in, in two hours but it didn't take two hours he'd spend ten hours if it didn't take ten hours he'd spend ten days it wasn't going to beat him it, nothing, nothing was going to beat him and so you know with John you know, certainly to look after himself, um, you know, there should be no worries, no concerns. It's the fact that this is so out of character that's actually baffling us. And um, the fact that we've been down here for, I've been down here now for over 10 days. Where are you uh, from? Uh, Dublin. <laughs> I'm originally from County Mead, but I've been living in Dublin for the last 50 years. But um, we've had over 25 of his friends from Dublin come down all last week, organising search parties. Mm. And we've been out there um, with sticks um, in the shrub. Um, we've been checking um, all along the river, you know, yeah, at, at low tide needs, and everything else. He was heading for not just the Atlantic Pond, but the River Lead on that parky tube. And yeah. I well, didn't want to be so insensitive as to ask you, have you considered that? But as you brought it up, you've searched. No, uh, intentionally, John didn't like water. Mm. I mean, you know, um, none of us can imagine... Anything in terms of John intentionally, you know, um, taking to the water. What may have happened somewhere is that we're just thinking he may have slipped yeah. and injured himself and he could still be there. Um, but also, I think, because of his connection and empathy and friendliness with people, you know, uh, we have a strong belief that he did meet somebody and he is with somebody. And due to the um, episodes that he had, he's just not fully aware of uh, where he is and the fact that um, we're all out there looking for him. And these episodes could be recurring and could be maybe keeping him from being in any way lucid. Well, John could be in need of absolutely urgent medical attention right now. We don't know. Um, I mean, he's the father of three beautiful kids. You know, Amy, 12, Isabel, 9, Alwyn, 6... A wonderful wife. Um, I mean, he's a father, he's a son. I mean, to me, he's a nephew. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I learned about this week, Mick, and it's quite extraordinary, and it does restore your faith in, in, in humanity hugely, is a number of friends I didn't know he had um, from all uh, aspects of life. Um, as I said, at one point last week, down from Dublin, we had close to 30 people who left their jobs, left their families, just to be here. Wow. That is 
and to help. I, 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 can, I can see your... No, and, and a big shout out to, um, just at this stage, because I, I just don't want to forget to um, Geraldine and the team and Marta in um, the Imperial Hotel have helped us out. Ada and the team in the Clayton Hotel have helped us out. Because Cork is busy and uh, all the hotels were, were sort of fully booked. But like so many people in Cork, um, they said, you don't worry, we look after that for you. And they have. I've never in my whole life met people um, so helpful and actually so wonderful. I mean, Cork is a special place. It's a real capital. And, and, and what makes the place special is just people. It's nice uh, to see a smile, by the way. Yeah, and, and it's, look, I even went into a shop, I think it's Foley's um, or an IT shop in, in, in Patrick Street, <coughs> and he knew of our, of our trouble, and we just wanted a couple of things. He said, here, just take them. Wow. So, that, that and is... and that's, that's been everywhere. Yeah. So a big shout out to everybody there. And well, what about this picture I'm holding? How how circulated is that? Um, well, we've probably printed close to ten thousand leaflets at this stage. Um, social media, social media posting everywhere, absolutely mm. everywhere. And I know. I know we've shared it on, on our social media feeds as well, especially Twitter. Yeah, thank you, Mick. That's that's really appreciated. And anybody who has this post and can send it on to their friends, because the funny thing about these things is. Um, and you read about it, that it's just a moment. Just when you think, you know, something shouldn't be there, it is. That, um, funny enough, it's a bit like how often have you uh, bumped into somebody in the street who you haven't seen for years? I mean, what's the chances of that? Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping that there is a chance here that John might just sew up somewhere. That's unexpected, right? Somebody will notice him. And, 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 and he's got and the care he needs. And totally, totally. So when, when last seen, John was wearing a pair of navy trousers, a grey ombro hoodie, very much represented in the pictures uh, that you have here. Yeah, uh, it's an FAI top. He has okay. brown eyes. Uh, yep. He ha- he's bald. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit of side hair, but he, he wouldn't be unrecognisable if you took a few looks at his, at his photograph, if you saw him in real life. I, I think if you saw him in real life, I think you'd recognise him. Yeah. And he had white trainers as well. Okay. And if you talk Man United and Roy Keane, he'll talk to you, or, or Oasis, he'll talk to you all day. And is that what somebody should do if they see him, as well as, of course, ringing the Guardi or, yeah, or I who, think, who do they contact? I, I think, you know, yeah, if, well, first of all, ring the Guardi and there's a, there's a dedicated phone number there, right, which is nothing else but answer calls confidentially, right? Okay, let me give out those two numbers, because there, there, there are two. 083 462 2598. That's 083 462 2598. And that now, goes direct to family, Mick. Okay, direct to That's family. That's to us. That's and to it, us. And yeah. if you can't, or you don't have a pen, and you can't keep a note of that on your phone right now, I'll give you one that's easier to remember. 1 800 666 What does the rest of today and the weekend hold for you now? Um, well, we're doing more searching today, um, and we're actually doing more. Um, awareness, uh, more leaflets and um, there's more people actually coming down from Dublin so we're organising them for the weekend because people people are off for the weekend. So the thing about this is um, you're looking for new areas to look and we are always looking at new areas to look but we still go back and cover cover ground just in case we miss something. But at this point, like I'd say, some of us, we've probably walked at least 
200 kilometres over the last but few But your heart is telling you he's somewhere in Cork. A heart is telling you he's somewhere in Cork. John yeah. is such a resourceful man. He might have got the so train. So doesn't it tell, he might have found a way. So if you know people even in Dublin or elsewhere, uh, please keep an, e- keep an eye out because um, it's really important. I mean, one of the biggest frustrating thing, about the emotion of missing John and, and, and worrying about where he is, is the frustration of not finding anything. Yeah. It's, 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 that's very hard. That's very hard. Um, because um, you're, you're really, it really does, how will I put it, it really, it is stressful thinking that where, where haven't we looked? Yeah. What haven't we tried? You've got, you're kind of empty of emotion because you can't, yeah, you can't process yeah. anything without some evidence or, or without some information. But as I said, um, with Katrina, and I want to give a special shout out to, to John in Mallow Search and Rescue and Christy in Cork Missing Persons and the guards, right, uh, who've been terrific um, for their support. I mean, the, the guys have been out in the boats on the water, the guys have been in the shrubs, um, the guards have been out checking CCTV, which takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of attention, and um, they've been so gracious in doing so um, that I can't thank them enough. And I uh, hope in the fullness of time, John will be found, will recover, will be healthy. Uh, and we'll realise the huge groundswell of support and effort and travel and time and expense and love and care uh, that have gone into finding him and making that recovery possible. Yeah, and I mean, we really believe he's out there. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here with you yeah. this morning. Um, and I, I, as I said, Cork is a wonderful place full of wonderful people. And I'd like to thank everybody out there because we've met lots of people on the streets who we've talked to, giving out leaflets, who shared their concern. Text coming in actually about I will the help. I will missing look. persons as well, uh, working every day to bring uh, John home to his family. Lots of texts coming in about Cork missing persons and the work they do. Uh, we'll, Great we'll, people. We'll Great have people. to leave it there. I want to finish with those numbers again. Uh, if you can take note, direct to family 083 4622 598. And if you can't remember that, 1 800 666 111. 1 800 thanks for coming in. And of course, it is John Keaveny. Uh, yep. it's, it's Keaveny with an E in the middle. K E A V E N E Y. That's great. Uh, and please make an effort to see his picture either on social media or on one of the, uh, the many telegraph polls. Uh, around, he will be recognisable if you see him. Uh, once again, that grey umbro top. He's a bald person, forty-three years of age, and uh, of slim build. Navy trousers, grey umbro hoodie with the Irish logo on it, by the way, and white runners as well. All the very best of luck over the weekend, Mick, and let's hope you. we have good news and we can relay it to the listening public if and when we do. And thanks so much to you and your team here. Sincere thanks, and to all the people of Cork and everybody involved for their help and support. It, it means everything. It's it means been a everything. pleasure to talk to you despite the difficult subject and we wish you all the best. Thank you, Mick. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Just turning 10 minutes to 10 and before we go to news at 10, I want to talk to Dan uh, on line one. Good morning, Dan. 
Hi, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, you had the honour in 2010 of looking after the World Cup, not looking after the, uh, the sporting yeah, element. Yeah, correct, Mick. Yeah. Looking yeah. after it from a fire safety point of view. You're a former firefighter in Johannesburg. Uh, and if you, as, as you may have heard on the news, and as I'm sure you're fully aware of being a firefighter uh, who worked there, things are pretty bad there today. Yeah, um, Mick, this, is, um, this was a tragedy of massive proportions. And um, let me start off by saying that uh, may the souls of those uh, 73 people who, who passed away rest in peace. Um, it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it, it, it's all really centering around one building. Yeah, correct. Well, Mick, uh, just by way of some background information, um, there are millions of people in South Africa, and Africa for that matter, <coughs> living in, um, in shanty towns, what they call informal settlements, out there because there is no uh, formal housing. And um, uh, what's also common, Mick, uh, Mick, is the concept of um, uh, criminal gangs and desperate people uh, hijacking or taking ownership of empty buildings, warehouses, office blocks, etc., which have been abandoned by the owners or which are empty. And um, these criminal criminal syndicates, uh, Mick, are then... Uh, for the want of a better word, renting out or levying, shall I say, a charge. Subletting, yeah. Des- Subletting yeah, something I'm, they're not legally entitled to do. Exactly, uh, Mick. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're levying this charge on the on desperate people, people who are who are shelterless, who haven't got uh, much more than the shirt on their back. I've, I've been to Joburg. I've seen the shanty towns. Uh, the, the strangest thing to see, and I'm not being flippant, is there's, there, there's a satellite dish on top of every little shed. Uh, I've yes. been to Lesotho and I've been to Nelson Mandela's uh, House 8115, uh, which is a tourist attraction now. It's full of restaurants and everything on the street. Could, 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 I, could I be so bold as to call it possibly a failed state? I know there's rationing of electricity. I know there's rationing of internet. The internet goes off. It's called load shedding. Uh, the fire service seems to have collapsed. What's happening? Yeah, um, Mick, South Africa is facing uh, major challenges at the moment. That's to put it mildly. Um, some very high-profile people there, respected people, are actually calling it a failed state. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to call it that, um, Mick, but it is facing major challenges. Can I just come back, uh, Mick, for a second to, sure. the, um, to the situation with these buildings? You know, so what you have here, Mick, is, um, is desperate people. They're having much more than the shirt on their back. They're, they're, they're moving into these uh, slum buildings. Uh, criminal gangs are making money out of them. And, um, and the last thing, Mick, on people's agenda is fire safety when you're homeless. So there's, you know, there's no fire detection, no firefighting equipment, um, no access to firefighting escapes, no water in these buildings. But there's no, no, no duty of care to, uh, from the people who took over the buildings and who were ripping off the residents either. Absolutely, Mick. You're talking about hard-nosed crimi- uh, criminals. All they're interested in is money, life, safety, etc. is not even on, it's not even bottom of their agenda. And um, and this is the situation uh, 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 in which the, um, the yesterday's tragedy occurred. All of those factors play into it. Um, so you, you were an officer of fire operations in the inner city, and and I know yeah. that the fire tenders have their own internal power uh, to pump water. But if you're on electricity rationing and the electricity's off in the area, surely that's impacting the water pump supply um, to each general area that the tenders can refill from. Yeah, absolutely, Mick. So uh, just by way of an example, in the last month, there was no water in Joburg for five days. Um, you know, so water tankers and 
uh, were brought in from external municipalities, etc. And, uh, you know, fire department had to make various uh, alternative plans. Uh, people, the uh, communities had to go out and there was a massive demand, as you can imagine, for uh, bottled water and so forth. So the situation, uh, it, you know, to put it mildly, Mick, uh, is not great down there. OK, uh, I want to play a clip from uh, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa uh, promising to get to grips with uh, Johannesburg's housing crisis uh, as well as the current situation. This is a tragic event and one that is unprecedented given the number of lives that has been lost. We will do our best to ensure that we act diligently in investigating the fire and equally in our pursuit to reclaim the hijacked and illegally occupied buildings in the city. Apologies, that was uh, that was not Cyril Ramaphosa. That was the city manager Floyd Brink. Uh, this, yes. uh, and it's my fault. There is uh, is the South African president Cyril Ramaphosa. It's a wake up call for us to begin to address the situation of housing in the inner city. So where do we go from here, Dan? You've worked on the ground there. You've led firefighting teams, uh, and I know yeah, that's a specific yeah. area. There are bigger, bigger problems. Uh, but where do we go from here to prevent this uh, tragic loss of life again? Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's two points I want to make, Mick. Firstly, in these slum buildings, people are using candles, paraffin stoves and fires and buckets and so forth to, um, to cook their food, to provide a bit of heat to, um, and to create a bit of light. So, you know, that also increases the fire risk uh, in these kind of buildings. Now, in, in terms you know, of where, of where, um, of where uh, Johannesburg uh, goes from here, um, you know, to say they are facing uh, uh, massive challenges is putting it mildly. Um, unfortunately, Mick, it can't be turned around overnight. The situation is, um, uh, it's actually out of control. But you worked in a superb fire service. Yeah, I did. Um, back in the day, Mick, the city of Johannesburg Emergency Services was recognised uh, as one of the best services in the world. Every year, the head of the fire services from the UK, from the government office, fire chiefs from America used to come over on a rotational basis and um, do an audit of the fire services, give their feedback, and um, the services was benchmarking itself against, you know, the, the best fire services in the UK and um, uh, in America. It must but be particularly painful for you, Dan, to see the fire service yeah, not able Neil, to respond yeah, properly Nick, now. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking, Neil. Joburg has in the region of 30 to 35 fire stations at the moment, and um, they only have about five fire engines, working fire engines. Five? Yeah, working fire engines. In a major um, city so such uh, as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic, it's terrible, Mick, for a, a, such a fantastic city to, uh, uh, like that, to be on its knees. Okay. Or, you know, all, all the big blue chip companies, Anglo-American, which is one of the biggest uh, mining companies in the world, listed on the London Stock Exchange. They've, um, they've ran out of town there. Sassel, a massive player in the energy. Um, it's not going to do much for foreign inward investment, Dan. I'm going to have to leave it there, but we thank you for your insight. Uh, I hope things get better, but it's very hard uh, to watch 70 people die there for lack of services and lack of a proper response ability. Uh, not that you wouldn't respond if you could, but you just can't. Uh, yes, Dan, thank you so much, mate. Thank you so much. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And our text lines, of course, remain open by phone. If you want to get in touch, it's 0818 104 106 by text or WhatsApp. It's 0868 104. 106. And some texts that have been coming in on the cost of living. I've been saying it for 10 years. It's only a matter of time before we get charged for farting, says Frank in Cove. My wife and I always go out on Fridays for food and drinks. This week we're staying home entertaining. This is the future. The cost of food and drink has been pushed too far. Uh, oh, sweet butter. Um, Mr. McCarthy needs help. How is he a mayor? 
Uh, it's very worrying. Uh, the man doesn't care for Cork people. Um, uh, I don't know where that came from, but uh, I think it's pretty good, Lord Mayor. Uh, on the uh, fuel thing, uh, good morning, Mick. With the price of fuel going up, I just cannot understand why there is no outrage about the price of the new HVO fuel. It just goes to show the hypocrisy of this government. This fuel is 90% less harmful than diesel, but is 10 to 15 uh, cent more expensive. If they cut the tax in it, every van, truck, bus and diesel car in the country would use it and have 90% less emissions within a week. This blatantly goes to show that the government only uses the environment as an excuse to take in more taxes. Love the show. I can't come on. I'm in work. Uh, but I hope you get to highlight, uh, highlight how ridiculous this actually is. Eric talking about uh, HVO fuel. Now, before we go back to our phone lines, because they always uh, keep me busy and I never get to do justice to... Uh, well, I do. Uh, but I'd like to do it a little more. Uh, to Roosters Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool, this is a text or WhatsApp competition saying who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you on Free Food Friday. 086-8104-106. We will feed 15 people. Winners will get a selection of starches consisting of chicken wings, chicken skewers, and beef skewers, a selection of mains including chicken wraps, pittas, and beef burgers, all basted, all the meats, that is, in their uh, famous medium piri-piri sauce. And they'll also throw in piri salted fries, rice, and waffle fries. Throwing in portions as well of piri mayo and garlic piri mayo. And as a special treat, you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella, and lots more. And as a special treat, uh, we will deliver that to you from roosterspiripiri.com. You'll find them physically if you want to go and visit for lunch uh, or later in Douglas and in Blackpool. Uh, Free Food Friday, 086-8104-106. Please tell us who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you. Now, Colin Burke, TD, uh, for Cork North Central, joins us uh, on our WhatsApp line. Good morning, Colin. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? I can. I can hear you now. How are you doing? Yes. Yes, I'm very well, thanks. How are you keeping? Okay, not not the sexiest subject in the world, but the constituency boundaries are changing. Seats are being allocated, 14 in all. You probably wanted more. I think the Constitution would have, would have allowed the politicians 21 or 22. But the, uh, the Electoral Reform Commission, I think that's the correct word, uh, has said 14 will be enough. Uh, and there are changes in Cork North Central. Yes, uh, as you know, we have an increase, a substantial increase in population over the last um, 10 years. Um, the increase in North Central is that it's going from a four-seater to a five-seater. Uh, the changes is that we're, we've lost um, parts of Tripsey and Dunamore, and we've lost Bishopstown and around the college area. And then we've added in Ballincollig and Mallow are added in to Cork North Central. So it's so you're coming more urban than rural? <clears throat> Yeah, it's a mix. Um, as you know, we've, we already were going within two miles of Malaton anyway. We had in the old Cork North Central constituency, we had um, Burnford, Rahan, Morlabby, all of that area. Uh, we were going out as far as Dunamore, out as far as Truick, and we were going down as far as uh, Warclass Hill, Glenville, Kiltynan. They were all in the old uh, Cork North Central constituency. Um, and the changes now have added in both Ballincollig and, mm. and Mallow. So, Would it be fair so to we say that, going... that almost 100% of our listeners wouldn't have a clue of the boundaries anyway? Just a general idea. Yeah, Cullenburg is Cork North Central because he's north side. Simon Coveney yeah, is, is, is Cork well, South see, Central because he's south side well, like Michael Martin. Yeah, 
Yeah, but you take my old local electoral area, which was the northwest ward, which took in from, say, Parklands, Onsra Gardens, Knocknahini. It went always down to Model Farm Road. And I had all the area around the college when I was, you know, I was 12 years a councillor in the northwest ward. So I had all around Gilabi. Um, my boundary there was Lashine Road. So, um, you know, that area has been in kind of in with that northwest ward for a long period of time. Likewise, with the Bishopstown area, it's been in with the boundary line, the old boundary line, which has now changed in the last few days, was the road in front of the University Hospital. That was the old boundary line. That has now changed to mm. the northern channel of the river. So that's the change that has occurred. OK, I, w- I want to quote the Electoral Commission CEO, Art O'Leary, and I take this with a pinch of salt, right? He said he had sleepless nights over Cork. It was a difficult county to redraw. We suggest and strongly recommend that what we've done is the best option for the county because it did give us many sleepless nights. Yeah, I would say that the difficulty was that, you know, we were entitled to get two extra seats. Um, The question then is how you would allocate that. There was a a suggestion floating last week that it would be five, uh, sorry, it would be four, five-seat constituencies. Now, if you include, especially, say, Cork Northwest and Cork Southwest, to have a five-seat constituency there um, would be, you'd have a huge um, spread of territory to cover. And remember, I can go back years ago when the old mid-Cork constituency ran from Charleville, in North Cork, all the way down to Crosshaven in South Cork. Um, it was a huge constituency. Uh, it was a five-seater going back into the 70s, early 80s. Um, but that has changed now. And I think it's basically what we're trying to do is serve communities. And there are different different issues affecting different areas. And I suppose what we're trying to do, as well as representing and dealing with the legislative side, and as you know, I'm very much involved in both the health, the Oireachtas Health Committee and the Oireachtas Public Accounts Committee, but we're also involved in dealing with legislative issues as well as dealing with issues that are relevant to the constituents in our constituency. Yeah, okay, so uh, gaining gaining a seat, I think, would be very good uh, for the likes of Jerry Bottomer. He plans to contest that last seat. He's placing himself, you know, he lost out the last time, but there are ramifications as well. And I don't really expect you to comment on, you know, cross-party effort. But for many years, people like Labour's Sean Sherlock have been serving the people of Mallow. Now they've been lopped off uh, from his responsibility as such and given to you guys. Yeah, no, well, you see, the, the difficulty for, from Sean Sherlock's point of view is that part of his area has come into Cork North Central, but part of his area, the old East Cork area, has also gone into Cork uh, Northwest. So Butfant, which was, for instance, in Cork um, East previously, is now in Northwest, so he's not only lost Cork North Central, but also, and it is a very difficult one for Sean. He's been a very uh, strong representative for the Mallow area over a long number of years, and, um, you know, it is a difficult one. And unfortunately, when they're looking at rejoined constituencies, they don't look at individual TDs. They look at Mm -hmm. how, you know, we can uh, try to have a constituency which is... um, can be, um, I suppose, have the numbers in order to um, give it the, the number of seats it requires. And it's it's always a very difficult area. Yeah. area. And I suppose the one in East Cork, where the big growth in East Cork has been in numbers, uh, is the, uh, you know, the growth in Carrytool and in Middleton. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 <coughs> I'm speaking about the boundary extensions in general. Jerry Bottomer, uh, of course, south side. Uh, but they also got the fifth, uh, they also got the extra one, as you did on the north side, uh, or yes. in Cork North Centre, where it was mm-hmm. Ken O'Flynn who lost out the last time. 
in uh, North Central. To the crux of this, it's in it's in the Constitution. Ireland should have one TD for every 20,000 to 30,000 people. Um, but that was written in a time pre-social media, pre-digital communication. Um, aren't people easier represented now with electronic means of communication than they were in, in the time where you'd have to travel to a, to a TD, TD's clinic to well, make worries known? <clears throat> You see, the, 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 the advantage of um, electronic uh, communication is that, in fact, it has increased the volume. Um, it has increased the volume of work because people have actually more access to public representatives now than ever before. And, in fact, the volume of work has gone way up um, because, you know, people, you know, you could get any up to, uh, you know, 150, 200 emails in a day and trying to deal with all of that. So you're you're trying to get back to, it may be housing, it may be health query, it may be in relation to childcare, <clears throat> it, it may be in relation to to <clears throat> buses for, um, for school buses. So you're getting a huge volume of documentation now. And remember as well, we, we reduced down substantially the number of local representatives, like the town councils are all abolished. So there's... The number of public representatives is, in fact, way down compared to 20 years ago. All right. Um, I, I don't know where they're going to put the extra seats in what seems like a very, very nicely constructed doll air. And is there room at the back? No, 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 no. There's plenty of room from the point of view of seats. That That's not a major issue. Mm-hmm. And I see as well as that, you see, there, there's also now going to be people added to um, committees. And I find the committee system works extremely well, both in relation to healthcare, because you have the people who are involved in the frontline healthcare in whether they're representative organisations um, or whether they're the um, HSE, they're in before us on a regular basis. They're, they're there to account to us for decisions that are made um, are, uh, that should be made. And likewise, in relation to public accounts, as you saw in the three, the, you know, the six, eight weeks before the all adjourned in the summer, you know, we had fairly um, robust engagement in relation to the whole RTE issue and bringing people to account for um, what was occurring there. So, in fairness, the committees have worked very effectively, and I think with the increase in, in um, dull seats now, we will be able to add additional people to these committees as well. OK, the review has led to the number of three-seat constituencies increasing to 13. That's up from nine. Now, that could be argued that three-seat constituencies will favour your big parties, your Fine Gaels, your Fine Gaels and your Sinn Féins, to the detriment of independence. I don't think so. I think, in fairness to independents, like you take say, some of the, the, I think it's just the constituency where you've, um, I think you have three independents uh, in one constituency in, um, I may be wrong, this in the Roscommon area, you have... Um, um, the Healy Rays, of course. You have the Healy Rays zone, and then, well, that's a five-seater, but I think in one of the constituencies in, in Roscommon, um, you have um, a number of independents, and I think there's only one party has a seat there out of three. So I don't think it's a, you know, if there's a particular issue in a constituency and there's a candidate who, um, you know, the, the, the electorate um, buy into and they're happy to have that person represent them, then they will uh, vote for that person. Mm. On, on, a, on a timing issue, Cullen Burke, when people are hard-pressed to get their children back to school, when their diesel and petrol is going up, their cost of transport, which will put everything else up, by the way, uh, you know, when the cost of beautifying yourself or getting a haircut, uh, when the cost of going out 
uh, and having a meal after being heavily taxed for your week's work is going up again. Now, I know they, these were gifts that were given to help people through and, they, and you're clawing back uh, what you gave. But the timing of this, and I don't want to harp on the old adage, but uh, can you blame people for being a little cheesed off uh, by, by no, thinking no, but, the last but, but, thing but, we need is more politicians? But in fact, we had to do this constitutionally. It had to be done. For instance, you take um, Cork East, Cork North Central. We had, you know, the, the constitution is quite clear. It must be between 20 and 30,000 um, people per per um, doll seat. Cork East had over 32,000 uh, per doll seat. Cork North Central likewise had over 32,000. So therefore, under the constitution, the review had to occur. But why not um, go to the country and change the constitution to increase the number of people well, represented? You know, Are you saying that's impossible rem- to represent that no. number of people? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, remember, we went to the um, we went to the people previously in relation to abolishing the Shannon, and the Shannon has 60 seats, and the uh, electorate decided to vote against the abolition of the Shannon. So that was 60 seats that the proposal by government at the time, um, and it was a something that was set out by Indicini. He gave a commitment before the general election 2011 that he would have a referendum on that issue. We did hold a referendum and the electorate went out and voted mm. against it being abolished. Okay, so how, that, how, that, how does it play out? We've, we've looked at the, you know, the extra four three-seaters and finally, <clears throat> how do you think it'll play out, for instance, in your area of expertise, your own Cork North Central extra seat? Fine Gael will, will go for that one. They'll all be putting in the extra candidates for, for that fifth seat, won't they? Absolutely, and I suppose the, the the big problem that we will have in Cork North Central that all parties will have, if you say run a candidate from Melancholic, is then trying to sell that candidate in say Glanmire or Mallow. Likewise, if you run a candidate from Mallow, trying to sell that candidate in Melancholic. So there are going to be challenges there for all the parties in trying to get two seats. Obviously, Fine Gael will be targeting to, to go after two seats. We have a lot of work to do as regards doing that. Remember, we did have two seats in the old um, Cork North Central constituency with um, the late Liam Burke and we had Bernard Allen as TDs for for Cork North Central. Um, so we had two out of five there previously. So there's no reason why we should not go back and target to, to win that extra seat. And when will we be voting or not voting for you guys? 2024 or 2025? Well, I don't have a say in that. That's a matter for the Taoiseach. Well, the Taoiseach uh, yeah. Obviously, he would... He will he will consult with the um, other two party leaders in in making the decision as to when the election will be. But you know we have to have the constituencies um, uh, the the changes put in place before the election can be held. Mm. So um, that will happen. And obviously we are now facing into a budget uh, over the next eight weeks. Uh, Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance, will be delivering that together with Pascal O'Donoghue, who is the Minister for Public Expenditure. And it's about making sure that we deliver a budget that can look after people who are facing challenges in relation to income and supporting their families, but at the same time to make sure that we don't have a budget that inflates, increases the rate of inflation. Yeah, Michael McGrath's had a good week, not legally but morally obliging the banks to stump up a little bit more on on the deposit rates because they're putting them up on all of the lending rates and mortgages, etc. So uh, do you think this is going to be one of the most contentious elections? You're going to have very strong Sinn Féin presence here. You're going to have a lot of unhappy people with what was a cobbled together coalition at the end of the day, uh, you know, on a resurgent Sinn Féin who didn't put enough uh, candidates forward. How's it going to play, do you think? 
But, you know, if you look at the changes that have occurred in this country, you go back to, you know, the period 2008, 2009, we had 50,000 young people a year leaving the country because there were no jobs here. Young people now have a choice. They can stay here. They can go abroad. They can come back. In fact, over the last five years, there's a net inflow of Irish people back to Ireland who had immigrated previously. In fact, there were more Irish people who came back into the country then left the country over the last five years. The number of jobs in this country has increased by 765,000 since 2011. Last year alone, we created 88,000 jobs. Now, the difficulty, the challenge that we have then is the accommodation and trying to provide accommodation for that. And that is a big, a big challenge now. Yeah, 522,486 adults living with their parents. Over half were in employment. But 54% of males and 50% of females being at work. That's leaving almost 50% of each cohort not working. Yeah, but the, the, the issue is, you know, we have the lowest unemployment rate now that we, at any time in, in, in our history. And the number, the reason as well why we've been awful lot of young people living at home is because in previous years and previous decades, people immigrated so they weren't there to live at home. That's the change that has occurred as well. And as well as that, that there is a challenge now in relation to trying to make sure that there is a housing available for, for young people. That that work is continuing. We're continuing, for instance, in relation to taking students out of houses now and that we've built a huge amount of student accommodation. That's coming on stream. More of that is coming on stream now in Cork City. Again and enormous prices, though. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely, and I agree, and that's something that needs to be controlled. The other issue that I think we now need to look at is building housing accommodation for uh, healthcare workers, because we, you know, an awful lot of healthcare workers, especially junior doctors, nurses, they're moving from job to job in order to get experience. Therefore, we now need to purpose build um, accommodation for trainee nurses, for nurses, for junior doctors close to hospital locations then I think that's something that we need to change as well because we had that before and we 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 tend we need we converted all of that accommodation into other uses within the health service we now need to go back and purpose build accommodation for healthcare workers and I think it's extremely important that we do that now. Okay. Uh, well, you're getting an extra seat as is Cork South Central. They'll be hotly contested. Colin Burke, TD, Fine Gael, and Cork North Central, TD. Thank you very much for coming on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. And i got to say, though, the old WhatsApp line is very, very clear compared to the phone line. So the wonders of modern technology. It's 10.30 on the Neil Prendeville Show. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prendeville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. And of course, it being Friday, it's Free Food Friday. Let's give a few mentions because we're absolutely inundated with them for the uh, Roosters Piri Piri Free Food Friday today. Hi to uh, all at Red FM. Please give a shout out to all the lads in GRP Roofing Supplies, uh, Tremor Commercial Park, uh, Premier Auto Parts on the Polyduff Road. Would love the free food. Craig and the group at Pat McDonald's Paints on the Commons Road. Uh, of course, we're going to feed 15 with Roosters Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. Good morning all. Big shout out to the hardworking gang and class windows. Happy Friday uh, on Free Food Friday. I was off the day we won and I missed the food. Uh, We are really hungry here in architectural and metal systems on Little Island. Uh, Working hard, extruding profiles for the windows and doors industry uh, all over Ireland and abroad. Fingers crossed for us here. Uh, Hi Red FM, Grace Murphy here from Coach House Cafe in Blarney Castle. 
I'm uh, currently in school and want to give the girls working today uh, a Friday pick-me-up surprise. I'm missing them so much on Fridays and want to get them some roosters to end the week. I hope you pick them. The Complete Upholstery Centre and Foam Services on Barrack Street. It's always good to hear you on the radio. Keep up the good work. Amanda King. Oh, flattery gets you everywhere. Uh, Amanda King and Blackpool Travel. Free Food Friday. Uh, for Adrian in M and P O'Sullivan Cash and Carry. We never win. Uh, and we don't get paid enough to buy it. Ah, stop that. I make free food Friday for all the hard-working staff at Union Hall Smoked Fish. Uh, all the ladies in Gate Childcare, which is in Little Island, page upon page of them today. Uh, all the team at Finbar Galvin Skoda, which is in Bandon. A Friday treat would go a long way. Good morning. We'd love to win the free food from all the hard-working facilities and porters in Marymount Hospital Hospital and uh, Hospice. Uh, the Cork City Ambulance Service also. Karen and her colleagues from the pharmacy department in South Infirmary. Well, I would love to share some chicken before Karen goes for her first wedding dress fitting after work. She'll only eat a tiny bit of it. Thank you for that. AOC Commercials. I would love Free Food Friday today. A nice treat for everyone here and for all the hard work done recently. We'll have more mentions and uh, more chances for you to get involved between now and 12 midday. But it's a red-letter day for Michael O'Donovan, the President of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, and, of course, the uh, long-time owner of the Castle Inn in North Main Street. Welcome back to the programme, Michael. Good morning, Mick. How are you? You're dealing with people this morning since 7am. Yeah, look, it's been, I suppose, a lot of people were hopeful that there'd be a last-minute reprieve for the 9% VAT rate in hospitality. Um, it hasn't come to pass and since midnight last night. You have to charge um, it, because I, I passed some petrol stations on the way in today and the prices were the same as yesterday. So are they running out their old stock? Is that something you're not allowed to do? Yeah, no, look, it's, well, to be honest, uh, Mick, if we sell uh, Carberry lunch today or a sandwich or anything, when you go to pay your VAT bill at the end of the month as of today uh, the VAT rate has changed 13.5% so whatever you sell 13.5% of that now goes to the government Yeah so uh, an extra 4.5% so if, if, if you spend a tenner on a Carberry lunch there's going to be an extra well roughly 45 cents of that extra being paid by you which is coming off your bottom line yeah, exactly. And look, for lots of premises, you know, like food is a, a low margin um, uh, product. So they are, look, it's inevitable that menus in the coming days will be changed um, to reflect the increase, unfortunately. And it's it's not something we want because uh, tourism has been such a big driver of uh, our industry over the last number of years, the last decade. And, you know, for next summer when tourists will come here, in big numbers, hopefully, we will be an expensive mm-hmm. uh, destination. And I, we I, would have thought food, back. I would have thought food, Michael, was a very high-margin product, except uh, you, then you have got to take off your cost of supply, your cost of ordering, cost of storage, your HACCP controls, your staffing, your menu creation, your you know all that sort of time. In, in that, what could be a very high-profitable element becomes almost, I won't say a loss leader, but you know, you, yeah. you're, you're whittled away down to no, almost break-even. Yeah, it is. It's it, like look at the bottom line. It's it, it's a it's a low margin uh, product. You know, when when you sell a high those margin bankers, product with, with a low margin outcome. With, yes, for the the bottom line is a, a low margin, and obviously when you're paying extra VAT, it's eat, eating into that low margin at the end of your bottom line. But so by the same token, you you also got a reprieve on that VAT, uh, and that's what's that's all that's been clawed back. It it isn't a it isn't a new all time high on the VAT rate. It's just taking back what you were given. 
It, yes, that is correct. But what we have seen over the last number of years, uh, since 2011, really, when this was introduced, was the uh, number of jobs it created. I suppose the certainty in the industry and the chance of, you know, being competitive against our European neighbours, because we are now amongst the highest in Europe for uh, hospitality VAT at 13.5%. And that's what we were arguing with the government all along, was 9% put us in the midway point in Europe and gave us a fighting chance in Europe, you know, for competing for inbound tourism um, and also for looking after the domestic uh, um, person going out, having their lunch every day. And, you know, we've seen that over the last number of months with the cost of living. The disposable income is getting squeezed. You mentioned today the cost of petrol and diesel going up that will go up in the next couple of days. So again, people will even have less disposable income coming into the houses. Mortgages have gone up. So we're in the perfect storm at the moment. Yeah. And we just think the timing of this is really, really bad. There's never a good time, but with the, with what's happening at present, maybe this isn't a good, wasn't a good time. But unfortunately, the government have made the decision now. And since midnight last night, the VAT rate has changed at a minute past midnight last night. Yeah, they, they weren't for turning on it at all. I, I suppose that would show weakness. Thank God you had a fantastic weather throughout the entire, not a, not a drop of rain for the whole summer. So you have probably had bumper, t- I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, look, this summer was very challenging. Uh, Michael, you know, across the county here, even in the city, look, uh, people had, some places did good, but the majority of places really struggled this uh, summer. And, you know, for a lot of them, they depend on the summer months to build up a buffer to get through the leaner winter months. Uh, in the city in Cork, you know, the students are coming back next week and um, there'll be a bit of a lift for the next couple of months. The city is slightly different, but for the county, uh, a lot of people will, I think, will, will see businesses struggle in the months ahead uh, on top of this fat race. OK, pub closures, they're not good news. No, it's not. Look, since 2005, we've seen, you know, a lot of pubs disappear and, uh, in the last 10 days. Unfortunately, here in Cork, uh, another three have closed their doors um, in West Cork and you know it's it's uh, it's a, a stat I think that will continue I was talking to one of the owners uh, last week and he cited the VAT race changing uh, today uh, he just couldn't sustain it and he decided to shut up shop uh, and, and that's because of, because of this VAT returning to, to the old rate of 13.5 yeah it just wasn't going to be viable he said to run his business and he said like he increased his prices during the summer and he felt, you know, his business had suffered from that and if he had to go again, he said it would have just wiped out his business. So uh, closed his doors last week, unfortunately, and um, there's been two others as well, non-food pubs, you could say. Um, but yeah, the, the man that was doing the food pub, just because of the VAT rate uh, increasing, he said that he wouldn't see the ends meet, so it was better to close the business. Yeah. We were in West Kerry in June. I love Dunquin and um, Ballyferrer and, you know, Slayhead and all that, those areas. Everybody around there was saying because of American tourism, they've had the busiest May on record in Dingle. Yeah, look, the shoulder seasons, March, April, May, now uh, September, October, we see a lot of Americans around. Um, and yes, they are around and they are spending. Um, but as I said, it's certain locations. It's not everywhere. Um, and like where they where they get them, it's fantastic. Where they don't get them, that's where the businesses are, are struggling at the moment. So okay. And that's that's the big problem for a lot of members. They go to a destination, i.e. Dingle, maybe Kinsale here in Cork, maybe one or two spots in West Cork, but uh, not all 
get that same luxury, unfortunately. You, you couldn't buy a bed in Dingle for the night at the moment without paying, uh, you know, for two people about 300 euros. So that's the other side of it. Uh, stay with me, Michael. Claire Nash is the owner of Nash 19 Restaurant, uh, another regular on the programme. Uh, Claire, do you, do you see closures morning, in your side of the business? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Um, well, I can't really predict what other people are going to do, but I know that this is a very bad move for our industry. It is going to be detrimental to a lot of small businesses, I would suspect. And, um, of course, they're going to have to pass on the increase, which we're already after lots of us having to increase due to the pressures and the constraints of rising costs. You know, we won't even go on about that. But this is something we feel and we hope that the government will now take a closer look at once they get back. And Michael McGrath might have the foresight to re um, revisit it in the budget and hopefully decouple it. I think that there is an appetite for it to be te- decoupled now from accommodation because that is where the crux of the problem is. Yeah, I, I think the driving force, if I remember correctly, behind this uh, VAT going back up was his predecessor, Pascal Donoghue, who, who didn't seem at all yes. impressed by the perceived price gouging of especially the Dublin hotels yeah. for big yeah. events. Well, there's no doubt about it that there is call it price gouging or call it what you want but I mean when you have a very good vibrant food sector at the same VAT rate as an accommodation sector which can charge what they like and change prices overnight um, that is an unfair system and you know the correct rate of VAT is not 13.5% for us it's 9 if not lower and you know like we're talking about a sector that that makes Ireland stand out that um, you know hospitality Cade Mila the actual quality of the food experience that they get is, you know, all all that we're interested in. And I do understand Pascal Donahue's frustration, and I fairly feel it myself, you know, being overcharged for beds. But, um, but now, now your industry is apparently being, well, not apparently, but Honey. possibly being scapegoated uh, yeah. for the actions mm-hmm. of a few. Yeah, well, like, we have believed that for an awful long time, and we've asked on several occasions that accommodation and food would be split out. And I think that it was a situation that um, that the um, IHF didn't want. But I know from talking to a lot of them off the record, as they say, that they now realise that this is the only way forward. I mean, they're not going to keep their dining rooms alive either with um, prices having to increase. And I think the government has a lot of work to do in it, that they will be able to split it. And the sooner the better. Yeah, I, I hate to be harping and banging on, on an old drum or you're repeating an old chestnut, but I guess I'm on the radio seldom enough that I can do it. I'm saying this for 20 years. Um, we, we, are, we really are dependent on our biggest export industry and people and successive governments do not see tourism as an export industry, but it is. What is an export industry? That which brings in foreign capital and that which exports something of value. We're exporting memories. And if we fill the country with tourists, if the hotel is full and vibrant and thriving, then Claire Nash will sell food. Michael will sell uh, drink and food. Uh, and the butcher is happy. The greengrocer is happy. The milkman mm-hmm. is happy. Uh, and, and we're taxing this, this while we're giving huge breaks uh, to foreign direct investment and the huge multinationals that provide great employment, to be fair. We're giving nothing to the tourism industry but trying to kill it. Well, I think that Tourism Ireland is hugely funded by the government and Folger Ireland, which would be the, um, which would be the both bodies that bring tourism both locally and um, internationally to our doors. And there is a huge amount of investment um, and has gone right through COVID in that proposition. 
and we are delivering constantly what is required. As you say, it is a suite of benefits. We have full hotels, we have full population, we have people eating, living and socialising and enjoying our cities and our suburbs and our um, Wild Atlantic Way. We have the ancient Wild and East or East the ancient east. I mean, these are all things that Tourism Ireland and Forge Ireland have poured money into, and so has so has the government. But how do they expect us to sustain this increase, to keep going, and to actually keep having the Genesee Qua or the Cave Made of Forge that we that we have had and that we love doing? Okay, Michael. There is another raft of VAT increases coming at the end of October. Uh, are you going to be subject to that, or is it just the petrol and diesel? No, it's just petrol and diesel in that, uh, in that increase in October. And look, one thing that you remember, Mick, as Claire alluded to there, uh, in the pub industry, I can say across Cork, like there's nearly 12,500 people employed. And most pubs, you know, since COVID have done huge uh, beer gardens, huge investment in their premises and the knock-on business that that creates in any local area because it's generally local employment that pubs would employ local is, uh, is huge. So if we see pubs disappearing uh, across the county, across the country, you know, it, there is a huge knock-on effect for local communities and local businesses. Yeah, tragic loss of life on our roads in, in, in the recent month is, is now forcing the Road Safety Authority into drastic action on dangerous driving at speed etc is it going to take and it's a lot less serious of course uh, but is it going to take rampant closures in your industries to force government to revisit this vat level yeah and it, i think that's inevitable uh, and that would be the only way you know when people are are losing their jobs unfortunately i think that's really the, the only time that's uh, government really take notice of things and put things in perspective for an industry like if we were in a, a different industry and over the last number of years if we saw the levels of people that were losing their jobs in any other industry you know the government you'd have ministers setting up different uh, forums for training and um, for retraining and like in our industry at the moment we just feel like we're forgotten yeah there, there, there are jobs there are more jobs to be created in your uh, in your in your area and, and yet you're being, it seems to me, you're being taxed out of existence. Now, I know it's a returning to, to the old VAT rate. Uh, wh- where will you go from here, here Claire? C- can you absorb it? Does it have to be um, no. moderate price increases? Absolutely cannot absorb it because it's not just a couple of percent VAT increase. It's actually a 50% VAT increase. And we're going from um, 9 to 13 and a half. That is a 50% VAT increase that you're looking for at the end of a two-month period, coupled with keep your good staff and you know if you talk about staff we were an industry that were very poorly paid we were you know not appreciated probably for our our grafting and split shifts and 80 hours a week but now every one of us has had to revisit that and you know we have shorter working weeks we have valued jobs within our industry we have colleges that are supporting that and then you have all your other that you have actually swallowed or you have had to try to absorb. So, no, I mean, this is like the nail in the coffin and this isn't something that the government have only just heard. This is something that Michael McGrath has sat around the Corp Business Association table with us on several occasions. And um, right back to Leo Varadkar in his day, 9% is the correct VAT rate for food. No question. Returning to 13.5% is just not viable. Okay, now let me level a text criticism at both of you just for your independent answers. Make most pubs and restaurants never reduce their prices after the VAT reduction. They took the 4.5% when you talk about price gouging. Michael, first, when, when, when the VAT went down, did you reduce prices or keep them as they were? 
No, uh, prices were kept as they are, but what I can say is when prices did increase in 2011, it held prices steady, so prices didn't uh, uh, increase. 2011? That's when the 9% was originally introduced, and then it went in 2019, and it was brought back in again. Uh, after COVID, you know, during COVID for the reopening. So I would say we did, you know, surveys back in 2011. Prices didn't increase, but with costs rising at that at that time, prices held steady. So that's where it created, you know, more jobs uh, out of the industry from having the reduced fat rate back in 2011 okay. when it was originally introduced. Okay. Claire, Claire Nash of Nash 19. I can't imagine any restaurant owner putting down prices, but it might make the business more viable. It, it might allow you to open longer, employ more. Would that be right? Well, you know, putting down prices with everything escalating, uh, like that just doesn't make sense. You know, it's just we actually put price, well, we, we personally put prices back down when, when the VAT rate was adjusted. But very quickly, that's been eaten into right across the sector, everything from fish, cleaning, you name it. And, you know, I mean, everybody feels it in their pocket. But what we want is not only international tourism, but we have a local community to serve. We have visitors, we have residents, we have, you know, we want to be a viable proposition for them to come and savour and to enjoy the city and to enjoy everywhere that they live. It's just not going to, you know, we're going to end up with just soulless cafes, restaurants with very poor food served by staff who don't really want to be there. You know, is that really what we want? Okay. Okay, I'm not sure what the future holds for you. The pub is a central part of the fabric of, uh, of communities all over Ireland, of course. Uh, restaurants that, I, I think you're predominantly lunch restaurant, are you, Clara? Do you, do you operate the full restaurant service at night? I know you're busy no, for lunch. Yeah, we just opened for, um, lunch, or for breakfast and lunch. Now we're opening at 8.15 and we are booked for private parties in the evening. Um, we're unable to do the full service breakfast, lunch and dinner. It just isn't, um, it isn't a viable proposition for us. Yeah. Okay, and of course, Michael, you're open early to late and uh, you're one of the early houses there. Uh, opens at 7am and dealing with the public. Th- thank no, you both. We don't open until 4pm every day, uh, except Saturdays earlier. Oh, it's, I beg your pardon. Uh, I heard you were dealing with people since 7am. They must be your uh, your, your constituents, members, yeah. your members yeah. in, in the yeah. VFI. I beg your pardon. All right, we wish you both the very best in these straightened times and uh, we'll keep in touch with both of you and uh, we thank you for your continued support and attendance on the programme. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Good morning. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Six minutes to 11. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for holding on so long there. Good. Thanks, Mick. Um, I'm hoping you can help, actually, or some of your listeners or callers in this morning. That's why we're here. (laughs) There's a lot of confusion uh, around the single-use coffee cup levy. Um... I'm a, a big user of reusable cups and I keep getting charged the levy in and around the, the Cork area and staff and owners don't seem to be treating it correctly from my own experiences and there seems to be confusion. Is there a levy or is it a discount? So I'm just kind of wondering, um, maybe do you have the answer or the solution to this? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I'm sure we'd be able to find it for you. Uh, what, what it seems to me is that there should be a price, including the levy on the single-use cups, and that when you come up yes. with your reusable cup, you should get a discount. Yes, and I think, if, if my understanding is correct, this is in place since the 1st of July of this year. So, you know, hot beverage drinkers might not be aware of this, but like when I've kind of gone up to establishments, 
I ask about it and it's like, would you not have the basic rate plus the levy on the receipts or on your cash register machines? Because if you're sitting in and having a cup of coffee and using the ceramic cup, you're still paying the price with the levy. And if you're rocking up with the reusable cup for a takeaway, you're still paying the same price with the levy. So I don't see it being treated correctly in the Cork area. But yet if I'm ever in Dublin it's very different. So there's huge confusion going around between customers and um, hospitality industry. It'd be great to kind of figure some of this out and support mm. the businesses and the industry better with this as well if there is confusion around it. I, I spoke once by chance at a rugby game actually to uh, a guy who was the site acquisition manager for Apple Green uh, and we got talking about coffee and he said the biggest cost in delivering coffee to a customer is the cup. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, And I think it would just incentivize people more to have a reusable cup with them all the time. I always have one in my hand. I think I'm addicted to the cup in my hand, to be honest. But you just kind of get used to it, get into the habit of it. But I don't think people are aware that we're now paying levies um, when we order a cup of coffee. It's a great point, uh, Laura. People should have those in their hand all the time. If if you're on the road or you're doing any bit of travelling, coffee is... Uh, or a cup of tea, whichever is your... We'll speak about tea later, by the way. Um, coffee or tea, is, is it keeps you alert, keeps you awake. Uh, it shortens the road, if you like. But you should be getting that discount if you're not taking away the polluting cup. Yes, I agree. And, you know, I have a small one and it fits very nicely into my handbag as well. well it's so, got, no, it's got to fit into the circle thing in your car. you got to get a comfy one for your car so it doesn't spill. But uh, thanks well, for that, exactly. Laura. It's it's a valid point, and we'll we'll, we'll try to see. Uh, and maybe there are businesses out there that are applying the legislation properly. But I do take your point. It's not clear at point of sale. It is yeah. great. Thanks so much. Thanks a million, Laura. Great point Bye. there. Free Food Friday, Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool. A few more mentions. Uh, we're going to feed 15 people. Uh, selection of starters, chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, beef burgers, chicken pittas, Piri Piri sauce. Piri salted fries, uh, all the mayos that you could think of. Uh, free food Friday for my mam, Carol O'Connor, working at the Dean Hotel. I'd like to nominate him to, uh, to win this food for all the hardworking accommodation staff getting the rooms in penthouse ready for the weekend. Oh, you could eat it in the penthouse, wouldn't that be great? And then clean it afterwards. Hi to all the Mernan and O'Shea lads working very hard on the big ho- housing project on the old Mallow Road from John on the Digger. Uh, good morning, making all the team could do it a feed for 14 hungry bucks working up a hunger and counting down the clock uh, till dinner time. All the lads at ECI, JCB and Carrick Tool. All the hard-working staff in Con Shop in Grona Broher, happily and hungrily serving the people for over 50 years. We have Holland's Pharmacy in Cloro, a Danone baby food factory in Inches... In, oh, I'm even going to try and pronounce that. And Ross Oils in Farnans. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Now then, let's go to our WhatsApp line and to Deirdre Lynch, who's a statistician with the census section of the CSO. Uh, Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning. Delighted to be here to present the census 2022 results. Great. And um, you, I think, now will give give a lovely, bright and interpretive feeling, uh, you know, to what can look on paper like a boring set of figures. But this boring set of figures have been crunched and they represent... Uh, the flavour of Irish society and, and and the fabric of Irish society and the changing trends in Irish society with incredible accuracy. 
Absolutely. So when when we process the data and we number crunch and we analyse, at the end of it all, we get a bit of a story about the Irish population and, and what's going on. And I suppose what's interesting in this profile is adults living with their parents. So in 2022, there were over half a million living with their parents, 522,000 adults aged 18 years and over. And I suppose the story piece looking back is what's interesting. So this is a 14% increase compared to census 2016, which is an additional 63,000 adults. Now, it did account for 13% of the population in 2022, but this was the same proportion in 2011 and 16. But where the story gets interesting is the age groups are actually changing slightly. So the younger age groups are more likely to be at home than what they were in in the past. So over 61% of 20 to 24 year olds lived with their parents in 2022, but this was only 54% in 2011 so you can see the kind of shift in the in the different age groups and I suppose one thing that jumped out at me was that almost one quarter of to all 25 to 34 year olds lived in the same household as their parent in 22 uh, in 2022 and this was only 17 percent in 2011 so 11 years not really an awful long time but quite a, a difference in this particular uh, story here so so interesting findings and that's there. not because they can't give up mammy, mammy or daddy's cooking it's because they probably can't find accommodation or afford it themselves absolutely we 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 did have a profile on renting and and families renting and and all that in our early publication and you can see that there was decreases in that particular sorry increases in in renting and and i'm sure this fits into that narrative and that they're they're saving and all these other potential stories but what we did do is look at the attributes of these adults living with their parents we wanted to see if they were students if they were working at home working did they work from home and and just to get a flavour of of what's going on there. So we did find that over half of them were actually employed um, 54% males were working versus um, 50% females. There were more females living with their parents that were students so 37% of the females were students compared with only 27% of males. And we we also asked a question in census 22 it was about whether you're long-term or you're short-term unemployed so it kind of gave us a sense of what's going on with these um adults living with the parents and we found out that 46 percent were in short-term unemployment was our of those unemployed 46 percent were in short-term unemployment and 54 were in long-term unemployment and we had a lot of information to to analyse for these for these adults living at home, we could see that the majority of them were males, fifty seven percent, and there was proportionally more males in the particularly older adult age groups. So okay. quite interesting there. Yeah, so I'll go into the flavour of the census in a moment. But just as they say, on a sample of one, we have uh, our producer Kevin Galvin here, uh, who is transitioning probably from one phase to another. But has been, hopefully, mum and dad. Yeah, I mean, um, like, one of the, what is it, one in seven in Cork of my age group, um, adults that are living with their parents, um, approaching my 30s rapidly, a little bit too rapidly for my liking. Um, (laughs) But um, you look at it, and, like, the average number of kids per family by the county, Cork County Council is one of the lowest at 1.4%. Like it does have, and it will have a knock-on effect to the way that families 
are in the future. We'll have families with, you know, we'll have parents who will be older when their kids grow up because they won't have been able to have kids in their 20s because they're living at home with mom and dad. You'll have families who will have less kids because they don't have the time to have the four or five kids for family because they'll have spent their time at home mom and dad. So, you know, when we talk about the the situation at the moment and the housing crisis and, and all that's going on and for people my age, like ultimately it will lead to a huge change in family demographics and that will change substantially the landscape for childcare and, and everything else in the country. So it's not just a case of like, you know, well, get your, you know, backside yeah. out, out, out of the house. And mum mom, um, mom and dad maybe not dreading the empty nest anymore but wishing would they ever off. Well, and that's the thing, like, I mean an awful lot of parents, they say, like, look we're, we're obviously, we're, we love them and we're very happy for them to be in the house, but we want them to move out for their own sake as well, you know, it's not just a case of getting them out of the house but it's kind of like, this isn't good for either of us, it's not good for you to be here because you need to be going doing your own thing and it's not good for me to be looking after you and still washing your dirty underpants, you know it's just not, a, it's just not an ideal situation for... If, if people of your age, Kevin, and your partner who are now eventually getting on to the, the first rung of the housing ladder, if you, yeah. if, if you like are doing that later yeah, than, than my generation have would have done it. And, and like we were talking, you were saying there yesterday about combined needing a combined salary. I mean, like we have a quite a substantial deposit saved, and that's been saved for quite a number of years. And yet, just to get an average kind of you know three bed semi D, which isn't in the city, it can tell you outside the city bounds, we're still very much stretching ourselves. And we would say, I think I have, I think we have, uh, is it twenty percent of the overall value of the house we've actually mm. saved. So that's a lot more than the average person would have. So it just, like they're saying now, uh, an average teacher, if you've two teachers on an average teacher's salary, they'll still need almost 55, 60 grand to buy their first house. And how long does it take somebody to about to save 55, 60 grand? You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. All right. Thanks for that, Kev, on, on that sample of one. Uh, let's go back uh, to Deirdre Lynch now, who's a statistician with the census section of the CSO. Uh, so, some of the startling uh, if you could call them starting, I suppose, they're trending figures. The number of families with no children is on the increase. Absolutely. kind of feeds into what you were saying there. Families in Ireland are massively changing. You know, cohabiting couples without children rose by 20%, which is, is quite a, a size, compared to married couples with no children, which only increased by 8%. But what I found particularly interesting from the analysis was that the number of family units were increasing. So that increased 5% in the last six years, but the number of children were actually decreasing when the family with no children units were decreasing. So it went from, let's just say back in 1996, it was 1.8 children for every household. And now it's gone down to 1.3 children per household. So when you look at that kind of across the country in every family unit, it's a sizable amount. And it's just particularly interesting because we can also look at the, the number of children per the family unit. So... Uh, obviously I said no children in family units was increasing. One ch- child in a family unit families were increasing. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a very interesting one in that there's a 20% more one parent father families with children who are renting. Yeah. Yeah, that it, the, now it's sing, the single fa- one parent father families were actually coming from a smaller base. There's five times more single mother parent families with children than there are father, which is really interesting. But it is coming from a smaller base, so it did actually see quite a sizable um, number of people 
renting from a, a private landlord and indeed renting across all categories, it was particularly pronounced for, for them. And married couples without children also increased in rented accommodation. So that went up by 17%. And there were nearly more, there was nearly 13,000 more cohabiting couples with children who owned their own accommodation, either with or without mortgage. So there's different stories going on there. And just the number of children per family unit, even though we have an increasing population, the number of family units with three or more children has actually decreased. So families are getting smaller. People are having mm. less kids and, and they're in different situations. So there's more of them renting. We, we explored this area before. It's, it's a particular niche that uh, appeared again in, in the census in that elderly people could, with the right vetting, uh, bring in tenants into their home that will offer company, will offer security, it will offer availability of help should anything happen if there was a fall and will also generate some income. But when we look at the lack of housing stock here it's uh, it's quite surprising 8% of all people in private households are still living alone including 44% of those aged 85 years and over. That's a lot of housing stock that could be put to use if the people were willing. Living alone was an interesting area for analysis in this particular one. Indeed, we did find that the majority of those people who were living alone owned their home outright. Um, so that was particularly interesting. Those living alone increased by 7% in this particular census. So that was an additional 26,000 persons, but it accounted for 8% of all persons, as you said, in, in private households. The highest number as expected was in Dublin City. And then this was followed by County Cork with almost 50,000 people living alone. But um, yeah, it was interesting because when we looked at the proportion of those living alone with age, uh, over one quarter of people aged 65 um, or over who lived alone, sorry, over one quarter of people aged 65 or over lived alone. But this rose to 44% when they were over 85. So as people are getting older, you know, things are happening, you would, it, it could be potentially a widow or, or situations like this where um, they become, you know, a, a one-person household at that point mm. of their life. 42% of children uh, in a creche or similar facility, uh, which is the most common form of childcare. Uh, but look at this figure. Childcare provided by an unpaid relative or family member, 28%. Could, could I venture maybe to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, Deirdre? And without the benefit, and I know you'll use them, of your exact figures, which every stat- statistician is their stock in trade, what what sort of changing Ireland do you perceive? I suppose from the whole entire analysis, looking at it, I think the trend is going to keep going in the same way. And now, obviously, I'm speaking hypothetically here, but with family sizes decreasing, sorry, family units increasing and having less children, there would be the need for, you know, more house, household units and family units for them. I think it's it's going to be interesting when we look at the childcare as well, given we understand there's pressures in that area. We can see that primary school children, over half of them, 52% were in childcare and, and that, that's only going to, to, to increase over the years given people, you know, the, the cost of living, the affordability. There's going to be a need for, you know, people to work and continue to work and, and then with that comes childcare. So I do see these numbers um, being particularly under under pressure as time goes on. Even when we looked at the hours spent in childcare, I'm sure you can you can imagine there's all, we categorised it into different, into different groups. We could see that there 
was uh, there was just under, I think it was 11% um, in the category uh, for zero, sorry, it was one third of children were cared for for up to 10 hours a week and 30% were between 11 to 20 hours a week. But a further 5% actually were in childcare for over 41 hours per week. So it's quite, it is a small number, but it is it is a proportion of our, our children. So it, it is quite important to do that. And we do look at the adults as well who who are using the the childcare and 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 what their family types are? So when we looked at the different um, categories and and the different um, socioeconomic groups, which is how we actually kind of categorise people as managers or people as as agricultural workers or higher professionals, we could see that over sixty percent of parents in the unskilled socioeconomic group used to pressure similar facilities and. Among parents that had children in primary school, it was those in higher professional categories that had the highest percentage of children in childcare. So we do have a fairly detailed breakdown of all the the parents um, using childcare, what their kind of area of work is, and even how what their kind of type is, the, the type of care they're they're yeah. using. I, I think I think you could talk all day on this, dear dear Joe. You really do have your uh, your figures. Uh, I know. I, I would imagine not even looking at figures. You're, you're just rattling them off to me. You're not long out of mum and dad's home yourself, are you? I I bought a house actually there a couple of like just over just under a year ago, and I have to be honest with you. It was the pandemic that kind of helped a bit with the saving in relation to that. So it's just funny when I hear you talking there, it wasn't long that I was in the same situation myself. It's it's not easy. And I suppose when you see the figures and you kind of get a bit of a sense of who these people are, it becomes more interesting because you can kind of recognize your own situation and you feel less alone. But, you you know, you, you feel like you yeah. want to get... Well, 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 well done. Um, just one final, one final thing. Uh, apparently, you see a lot of people having to leave jobs because of the issues surrounding housing. I'm intrigued by that. What, what issues surrounding housing could force people to leave jobs? Anecdotally, I think just myself and from my own friend group, I, I've just seen people to 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 leave, like to to move further out of. Yeah. of an area to afford a house but with that unwilling to 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 do long commutes so with that you're having to potentially up up heave your life to to just get on the you know that that's what i'm hearing from my friend group just to get on the property ladder i am hearing people yeah i have to take a different job and i have to move uh, in, into a different yeah. area uh so uh, well done and uh, i'm sure the cso will continue their trojan work in trying to inform and uh, and give direction to government policy and deirdre lynch who's a statistician with the cso the census section of the cso thank you for uh, coming on this morning and giving us those figures have a great day. Cheers, bye. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. 27 minutes after 11, I'm joined on our WhatsApp line by Marcus Hutchinson, a director at VV Resources Limited, who uh, competed in sailing when he was younger and coaches younger sailors, uh, but is very heavily involved uh, in the famous uh, Le Figaro. Uh, well, let's give it its full title. La, La Solitaire du Figaro Papre. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning. How are you? I, I'm good. Now, a big spectacle yesterday in Kinsale as the first leg of uh, Le Figaro finished. Um, your family home is in Kinsale, but you're back and forth from France. You organised this stopover in Kinsale, yeah? Yes, yes. Well, it's uh, it's it's a big show. I'm part of the organisation of 
of it. And um, we, my, my wife, Megan, and I, who are directors of VV Resources, we uh, organized the Kinsale Stopover, second time we did this also in 2019 for the 50th anniversary of the race. Okay, and the, and the first leg, um, you know, a lot of people see it as an elite sport. I love sailing, uh, and I love the endurance sailing that these guys go through. Uh, but this is coming from Cayenne in France, uh, along the north, well, up to England, around, back to the north coast, coast of France, around the Fastnet Rock and into Kinsale. And they're all staying over at Castle Park Marina, which is opposite Kinsale Town and well worth a visit. Huge surge of boats arriving yesterday morning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I, it's a very special race. It's more of an extreme sport, and I'll let Tom Dolan talk about that in a minute. But it's a single-handed race, and this race is in its fifth-fourth been running continuously for 54 years. Kinsale and Irish ports have been visited on more than 30 occasions. And in fact, Kinsale hosts a record of 21 times the yeah, It's very much part of uh, the DNA of the course. Okay, the, the line is dropping their markets. Not great, but I'll bring in Tom Dolan here. Tom, congratulations. Second place in the single-handed offshore race. Hello, Mick. Well, how are you? Yeah, thank, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, that, that puts you in contention. There's three legs here. It's never not been won by a Frenchman, am I correct? Uh, that's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be putting too much pressure on me. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. Three legs and it's it. <laughs> pressure for tyro. It's like, uh, it's, like, uh, it's like the Tour de France Velo. So it's, uh, it's time, overall time, so you can very quickly... Uh, yeah, so in, in the greater scheme of things, this, this is like a Le Mans, really. This is a... This is an endurance, tough, uh, tough, tough race where, where you, you've got to catch yeah. your you've got to catch your 20 minutes of sleep, probably set an alarm, um, you know, be aware of all the shipping and you're crossing shipping lanes, uh, a certain amount of danger and a huge amount of skill involved, even just to take part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. It's, it's, it's tough work, all right. And the thing, yeah, the, the special thing about this is that all the boats are identical. It's the only thing in the world like that is the boats are all, all one design, so they're very strictly measured the same for the ideas. Uh, so it's whoever skipper, gets the, the best performance the out of the boat, yeah. So exactly, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the next leg is going to take you guys, and you're leaving, um, you're leaving on uh, Sunday. Uh, I don't have a time on that, but if people want to go up to, uh, to Charles Fort or on the Castle Park side to James Fort or Kinsale Town, what time can they see the spectacle? Um, I think it's 12 or 1. <laughs> I'm better off asking Mac because I haven't. I've only been asleep for the last while, so I haven't actually checked. <laughs> I think it's 1 o'clock usually this <laughs> Sorry, I'm not very good. I haven't been home. I'm a good boy here. So. Okay. Uh, Marcus, is, is it 1 o'clock? So the race, the, yeah. So the, the race starts at 12 o'clock from just outside the uh, Bullman Boy, which is just south side of Kinsale. But the boats will be leaving the port from Kinsale from about uh, 9 o'clock, 9.30. And so anywhere along Kinsale Harbour, up on James Fort or up on Money Point uh, or up in Pragan Point will be a fantastic view of, 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 the, of, of the fleets going past. Or even and on Castle Park Beach. And they'll be doing a race Beach. in the bay for a while. Yeah. Castle Park Beach as well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so you're going to go from Kinsale up over the Isle of Man and all the way back down to Morlaix, which is near Roscoff in France. That's yeah, correct. exactly, yeah. And... Uh, before before going back to before going back to Morley, we used to go and do a little zigzag in front of Sam Malo or in around the Channel Islands where the tides are tides are very very strong. There's a, there's very t- strong tides next week. So yeah, it's a forty six foot rise and fall in tides. There huge huge tides. Yeah. You're originally from Kells, Tom. I can tell you're not a Corkman anyway. I'm not. No, I used to, I lived down in Baltimore for four or five years, so I was adopted a bit by by, by Cork and I think. 
and still, still loves the place. And, and now living in Brittany. It's almost as nice as mead. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking on some of the most accomplished French sailors in the world here. Um, there's, there's an old saying in West Cork, a Frenchman would sail up here in a bathtub. They, they, really are the, <laughs> they really are the marine sailing race, aren't they? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it, and it's it's, it's been fully professional I'd say, for the last twenty odd years. So it's they're very very well trained, very established teams and sailing centres, and like, like any like any high performance sport. Oh, easy, so- but, uh, I'm doing my best. So, is there any spectacle for people visiting, for instance, even just going down by uh, in in front of the dock bar to Castle Park? Uh, that's where you guys are are, are being uh, hosted by Stephen Duffy and the gang there uh, on Castle Park Marina. Can people go down and and maybe have a look at the boats? Yeah, absolutely. The marina is wide open. There's plenty of us hanging around, and the, the, the short teams are hanging around. They're all very friendly and happy to, to show people around and, and explain the thing. So yeah, definitely. More than, the more the more the merrier. I hope the weather weather clears up a bit. Okay, and not not wanting to jinx you, what do you reckon your chances of uh, being the first non-Frenchman to take the title here, Tom? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think about that at all. To be honest, it's a paradox. I just have to concentrate on. On, on the process and things, things, things that I can control to, to, to do the best I can and, and I'm not thinking about outcomes otherwise you just burn up energy and, well, what's, what's your sleeping regime? 20 minutes, alarms off strobes going off and then back up for exactly. an hour and 40 and back exactly, down for yeah. 20 exactly. yeah. if, uh, it depends there we did, we did about the first 24 hours without any sleep so it really depends on the weather um, okay. so ideally they, they, they try to get at least one or two hours a, a day otherwise they start to lose lucidity and make very stupid mistakes ok well we're Ireland of the welcomes I hope Kinsale is welcoming all you guys Marcus thank you for all your efforts uh, in bringing it to Kinsale the first leg finishing there leaving on Sunday uh, you can watch it from the Bullman you can watch it from various points around Kinsale Harbour including of course Castle Park Beach and uh, we wish you all the very best Tom and keep, keeping the pressure on the Frenchmen Thanks, I will. I will do it. I'll do my best. Thanks, Mick. Thank thanks, thanks, Tom. And, th- and thank you, Marcus Hutchinson, as well. Cheers. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 And some of the text to 0868 in relation to VAT. Why is nobody asking what is the revenue advantage to the government in weighing up against the pressure on restaurants and cost to customers? Uh, has it reached uh, your, the point of diminishing return? Surely the government has considered this and thinks it's worth the increase, as painful as it seems. Hi, Mick, I was also down in Dingle over the summer. It was absolutely jointed. You're right. Clan here uh, was too and still is Clan. Uh, thank God, that's what I say. The Park Hotel here is brilliant for families. I think businesses must have had a very good season. Uh, great show, Mick, says Marie from beautiful Clan. Hi, in relation to the single-use cup levy, my local centre only applies the discount for coffee, not tea, which seems particularly pointless as we're uh, the highest per capita uh, tea drinkers in the world. From Eileen, the frustrated, socially responsible tea drinker, I won't name and shame my local centre. Let's get to our uh, Roosters Piri Piri Free Food Friday because we've got loads of people uh, to call out. Feeding 15 people, roosterspiripiri.com uh, if you want to see all the fine fare. Uh, they're in Douglas and Blackpool. Uh, we're going to send a selection of mains uh, and starters. The starters will be chicken wings, chicken skewers and beef skewers. A selection of mains will include chicken wraps, chicken pittas and beef burgers. All meats are based in their famous medium piri-piri sauce. And they're going to throw in piri-salted fries, rice and waffle fries, portions of piri mayo and garlic piri mayo. And you can build your own cheesecake as well with selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots more. Uh, Nayland's cleaning and laundry staff at St. Luke's Nursing Home in Mahon. Uh, BCE Consulting Engineers at the Marina Commercial Park would like to win as well. Uh, free Food Friday for BCE Consulting Engineers 
on the Marina Commercial Park, Ego Hair Salon in Cove, EBO Home Rescue or EBO Home Rescue at the Marina Commercial Park, Colette Barry working in the HSSD department in the CUH, patient admissions at South Infirmary, all there. Uh, that came in from Colette. Good morning, Mick. Orchid Centre Cancer Services in the CUH. Would love a Friday treat, says Shirley. Uh, Blarney Window Systems, Charlie, Dave and all the lads working very hard uh, to make homes fit to live in. Free food Friday for the Crazy Monkey Skate and Repair Shop in Church Road, Douglas. The Rapid Prostate Cancer Clinic in the Orchid Centre. Uh, CUH for Free Food Friday. Uh, the Ambulance Bay at Kinsale Road, especially for Cloda, who helped me out. Angela Mackesy is in the radiology department of the Matter Private in Corker Sullivan's Pharmacy on Grange Road. Caroline Casey would love to win Free Food Friday on this miserable day. It's not that bad. Uh, we still have to keep going and smile at all the lovely customers. That's uh, all the staff and management of Dunn Stores in Carrigaline. Uh, we'd love a nice feed on the eve of our big retirement party for nine staff members that have, listen to this, 341 years service worked between them. Uh, that's Atkins Farm Machinery on the Carrigan Road from all the staff. All the hard-working, hungry staff at Clona Dairy Products in Wilton, keeping Cork City and County supplied with milk. Uh, morning make from Agnes O'Brien, working at Smurfit Kappa in uh, Paladuff Industrial Estate. Uh, love the Neil Prendival Show. Would you please consider St. Gabriel's Special School in Bishopstown for Free Food Friday? They returned to school yesterday. However, their packed lunches will not be available until next week. And hi there to Dave, Sinead and all the teachers and SNAs from Fiona in Clonakilty, whose daughter's a uh, pupil in the school. Northside Tires, Old Mallow Road would love to win the lunch and the MM Group in Ovens in Cork. It would be great for a Friday and thank you very much. Now then, uh, we will quickly go to uh, our next topic, which is on the subject of tea. And we're joined by... Uh, the food and beverage, the F&B director of Trigon Hotels, happy to talk about all things tea. We had a complaint that a certain tea brand, and we won't mention the uh, the actual brand, Pierce, uh, is now using what uh, some punters believe is substandard paper in their tea bags, and it's breaking in the cup and causing all sorts of trouble. I know it's a first world issue, but um, you must serve a lot of tea every day. We do, yeah. I actually work between the Metro Hotel in the city and the Cork International Hotel up at the airport. And between them, we serve about 400 cups of tea a day. So there's definitely a major demand for, for tea in the city in the wider Cork area. I think Cork is famous for its tea. Um, we actually always use Barry's Tea, which is the local Cork tea. I think people have a great grow for Barry's Tea since being in the city for many years and having the old shop on Princess Street and whatnot. So there's a great connection there. I've actually been looking at the comments today and I've actually made a cup of tea for myself this morning at nine o'clock and I've been stirring my, my tea bag around and the tea bag is still intact. So I think it's a good sign of quality, at least in that brand, that, uh, that there's, a, there's definitely something to the quality of this side of it. Yeah. Okay. So you, you do a lot of different teas and herbal teas and that kind of thing. How popular is tea as in relation to coffee these, uh, these days? Because coffee is huge. Yeah, coffee. I think coffee's kind of gotten very sexy, I suppose, in the last number of years with all the different types of coffee and cafes that are opening. But I think there's, there's still a huge demand for tea. I think a lot of people still like their kind of classic tea, like the classic gold blend. It's a nice kind of medium-style blend. Um, it goes well with sugar, goes well with milk. Um, I think we always use the kind of cup or the pot-over-cup rule in the hotels here. So the pot normally gives that bit more time to kind of let the, the tea kind of breathe in the pot. Um, and also uh, heating your pot in a cup is so important just to keep the temperature right as well. Yeah, of course, the age-old question is, does the milk go in first or does the hot water and tea bag go in first? Now, you're probably too young to remember. This was a huge bone of contention on a programme called The Reardons. There was an argument once between uh, Tom Reardon and his wife. And if you remember, Batty Brennan and his wife Minnie uh, had a bit of an argument about uh, one had the milk going in first, one had the water going in first. Is there a difference? Do you scald the cup 
What do you do? Because I think people, there's nothing worse than getting a lukewarm kind of cup of tea. I think they'd be war if we were to put the milk in first in Cork anyway. I think typically it would be water and tea bag going in first and then people add what they like after. But I know everyone has their own kind of, their own type of it. I suppose it depends too what kind of tea, tea you like to go for. We often have a lot of um, herbal teas with our afternoon tea service here. So for example, at Christmas time coming up now, we'd have like a cranberry and vanilla tea where there's no milk and sugar required for it. Or we'd have a chai tea maybe that would have milk already included in it. So there's all these kind of new flavours of tea coming through then that would kind of add extra elements to that question I'd say people would be there'd be a lot of uh, opinions on that one I think if you were to put it out there Okay um, we have some other punters but we do have afternoon tea uh, thanks to yourself uh, to give away Uh, you were doing a summer afternoon uh, tea as well which included what Uh, actually I have a list of it here raspberry and white chocolate Millie Philly tartlet West Cork strawberries and Victoria sponge cake warm art salad goat's cheese leek and herb tartlet and poached prawn and salmon on Edward Buckley's soda bread. This kind of thing runs expensive. An afternoon tea, I'm not sure is it meant to be expensive, but it's meant to be a luxury. What sort of pricing do you have in the Metropole? Uh, at the moment, or we're kind of coming to the end of our summer season, so we're kind of coming to the end of that summer berries afternoon tea. That one will kind of include uh, the tea services, selection of teas. You've got your different stands of savouries and sweets, and also includes a really nice kind of um, a berry cocktail as well that we include in that for €40. Euros. Um, but I think afternoon tea is a real special occasion as well. Like we do one... Uh, coming into winter now, for example, that would have champagne and have kind of more of the Christmas feel. And I think people really connect that with kind of catching up on that special occasion and treating each other and kind of, you know, taking time to kind of sit down and relax with each other and enjoy, enjoy things. We also have one up in the actual, the International Hotel uh, for Halloween, which is a really spooky afternoon tea, which often is really, really popular with families. So I think it's just a nice treat that people tend to come together for, tend to catch up for. It's something for all the family. Um, and it's during the day you can have it in the later evening earlier in the day so it's a lovely kind of a time in the day as well that people can catch up but Will you I run it through autumn? First day of autumn today meteorologically anyway we, Yeah you? we have afternoon tea in the Metropole at the moment the, the, the Cork International spooky one won't be starting until closer kind of the two weeks around Halloween usually but the Metropole Hotel would always have an afternoon tea going we team it typically so for the next two weeks we're finishing up the summer one we move into an autumn one and then the really popular obviously is that kind of mid-November into January the Christmas one where you have all those lovely kind of Christmas treats and spice kind of flavours coming through. Okay. Uh, and we will give away uh, an afternoon tea. And thank you, Pierce Lowney, Food and Beverage Director at Trigon Hotels, for concentrating on tea for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Ian is on uh, line four. Morning, Ian. Hi, uh, Big Hortings. You don't buy berries, you buy lions, is it? Oh, lions is your only man. Why is that? I, it was always the brand of choice in our houses growing up. Um, berries was always considered uh, blue shirt tea. Ah, come on. Uh, no, p- p- that, no that's, that's a true story. Oh, really? Yeah, sure, Peter Barry did a lot for Cork and he elevated it to to a high office. Like, it, oh, yes, yeah. It's it, but it was just considered, you know, we didn't buy it and I still don't buy it. Like, it's a, I so there, 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 there are two Irish, major Irish tea companies. I know there are other brands for sale through the multiples, uh, you know, including Tet, Tetley's and uh, you, you, what, was, what was that one with the chimpanzees? Uh, uh, PG Tips. PG Tips, yeah. yeah. But Lions and Barry's would be the Irish tea brands, yeah? Yeah, Lions would be more kind of to the east of the country, like, like Dublin now and probably down the east coast. Like, is what, um, I know Barry's would be the main one in, in Cork and Munster. But um, you know, I just prefer the taste of uh, Lions all, all my life. Like. Yeah, and have you had any problems with, with any tea that you're drinking breaking in the cup? I suppose you'd always get the odd one, like it's a, you know, if you squeeze the tea bag too hard or something like that with the spoon. But um, 
No, it's that uh, I'd say you get maybe one in every couple of boxes or something like that, like, you know. Okay, and uh, so Lions for you and, and, and Barry's would be more stronger in the South, you reckon? Uh, oh, yeah, they, they definitely, like I said, uh, I would say I have friends up the country now, so then I'd say they would be Lions people, like, but, you know, if somebody gave me a couple of Barry's, you know... In, would you know uh, the difference? Would you know the difference? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Is it um, uh, Barry's would be a stronger taste and a redder colour than the Lions. Yeah. Okay, my, my, my parents caravaned all over Europe and, and got to most parts of Europe, and uh, my dad said uh, we'd always bring enough that we would never, ever run out of Barry's tea or gas. So you always had the means, means of making it and you always had enough and a big stash of Barry's tea, which he continues to do uh, to this day. Thanks a million, Ian. No problem at all, mate. Okay, let's, let's give you a little flavour of the most famous tea preparer of all time. broken again, Father. Yes, we Never had a bit of trouble you with mind. You. There's nothing wrong with it that can't be fixed with a bit of you-know-what in the head department. <laughs> now then, who's for tea? Uh, me, please, Mrs Doyle. Tea! Feck! <laughs> I'm fine, Mrs Doyle. You won't have a cup. Ah, uh, no, thanks, Mrs Doyle. Honestly, I won't have a cup. Are you sure now it's hot? Uh, no, I'm not in the mood, thanks. <laughs> All right, so... I go on, would you not have a drop? No, thanks Just anyway, Mrs. Doyle. Cup. I'm fine. No, really. I'll tell you what, Father. I'll pour Seriously. a cup for you anyway. Ah! You can have it if you want. No. And what do you say to a cup? Fake off, cup! He loves his cup of tea. Back with some live music to play us out and some chat at 13 minutes to 12. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, to have a chat and play us out live, as is our want on a Friday, we have famous Cork musician Pat Fitz. Welcome, Pat. Well, I wouldn't say famous, but yeah. Thanks, well, Mick. We'll How make, are you? We'll make you famous. Hey! <laughs> and his wife, Ashley, and it's her first time in a radio sta- uh, studio, is it? Yeah, first time. What do you think? Scary. <laughs> <laughs> There's too much paper in this programme. There's stuff everywhere. There's too many screens. I can't even see you. There's so many screens. <laughs> I have to lean e- either side of a screen to see you. Pat, you've been doing this stuff for a long, long time, since you were 15. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they say if you throw enough uh, crap at the wall, some of it's bound to stick. <laughs> so if you keep at it, you know. What were you doing hanging out last Wednesday night with Daniel O'Donnell, the, the dangler? Oh, well, people are asking him the same question. They're like, what are you doing <laughs> hanging out with Pat Fitz? No, um, there's a, a good buddy of ours, uh, Kiran, he's the band leader, and our buddy, Roy Scully, and he said, come in and see how things are done, which is very interesting. Like, yeah. you know, it's good to see how the pros do it. So we went in, we were side of stage, and very impressive. Yeah, and you're employing locally as well. Shane Coleman from Cove would be your engineer. Shane, yeah, he is an absolute hero. He's been looking after us for the last eight years. Uh, yeah. So if you were ever going to go into war with someone, I'd, I'd bring Shane. <laughs> So, so you've you've been doing it on on a solo basis, but you also have one of the busiest wedding bands around. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we 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 are busy. Yeah, I'm um, I'm Addison, fifteen, but we started the wedding band eight years ago, just after coming off the Voice, and uh, we've been flying ever since. So we we actually instead of having one foot in now, we we do everything. So we do the wedding car, we do the prosecco truck, the photo booth, the DJ, and the band. Oh, fully integrated and so the full wedding package. I sold my whole soul. <laughs> Ashley, where do you fit into all of this? Um, I suppose I'm the wife and um, the mother to our one-year-old twins. <laughs> She's so, the brains behind the operation, Mick. Busy, busy. I, I sing a bit with Pat here and there um, when he can fit me in. <laughs> well, no, well, Ashley is actually the qualified proper singer. I'm only the bluffer. Ashley right. is 
done all the courses, done all the music, and um, I just seem to be the bluffer. So uh, we've done a good few shows together. Before COVID, we toured Clapton Unplugged. Do you remember that album? I do. Yeah, we toured that for a while, and then we did The Stars Born, and um, and then COVID hit. So this single is our kind of first. I always try to do something with Ashley, so this single is our. Own okay. project. Yeah, or toe back in the water after COVID. All right, fair enough. Now, you've you've supported the uh, some of the biggest names in the business. James Morrison, Paul Young. I remember, I'm old enough to remember him with the Q-tips. Uh, Sharon Shannon, Mundy, and lots someone's, more. Someone's been Googling. Well, someone's been Googling. Yeah, I've actually forgotten about all that stuff. Yeah, but um, we used to do a good bit of work down the INEC uh, with Fiona. And uh, I get to do all the bit of support for all the big acts, you know. And then you get to hang out with them afterwards. Yeah. So, what 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 is it with a wedding band? Because they ain't cheap. No, but there's a lot involved. I mean, there's six guys in our band. Do you have public liability insurance? You have the van. You have the gear. You have the rehearsals. I mean, and then they added extras if you want to have the photo booth and the. Yeah, I mean, the, what I always say to people is, you ask six plumbers to go to Clarny on a Saturday night for nine or ten hours, wait around, and whatever they charge you, I'll do it for half. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the truth, you know. Like that's a, that's a good that's the, a good approach, actually. Yeah. The, the gig is the easy part. It's it the, is. It's, it's the admin. It's the getting I know. There, the I'm turning not complaining. Up. I I love it. I, and I, I especially after COVID, uh, it made you appreciate how good we have it. Yeah, like, but the gig but, is the is the enjoyable part. But that's all that people say. Oh, it's easy for them. They turn up for two and a half hours and they take two and a half three grand out of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a wedding. It's 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 one time in your life where you need to send them home sweating, as they used to say in the show bands era, and and leave them wanting more. Oh, big time, uh, yes. And, and I, I, I've been DJ after bands, you know, not for the last 20 years, perhaps, but uh, it's the one thing that people come up after you and say, we really appreciate you got the whole crowd out on the floor, everyone had a great night, and you can't buy that. You, you, no. Well, you can buy it, but you've got to plan it. Yeah, and, uh, like, it's not rocket science. You just go in and do what you're supposed to do, play the wedding classics you know a lot of musicians they haven't sold their soul properly yet and they still have a bit of musical integrity you know so they're like oh yeah. we're not playing that cheesy stuff whereas we go in and we play I'm not playing ABBA ABBA fills yeah. the floor ABBA's incredible it's the old stuff is, is still doing the business now we obviously have the up to date stuff as well but yeah. you can always count on the old stuff Yeah, you know a song that most people don't play from ABBA is Does Your Mother Know we do it great yeah, rock yeah. song oh it's super yeah okay. we, we have a big ABBA medley and it's in there yeah. alright let, let, let's get down to the single tell me about it well, uh, a funny story. Travelling Soldier uh, obviously was written by one guy, but the Dixie Chicks made it famous. And um, I play in Voodoo on a Thursday. And all these, uh, well, I, I was going to say young people, but that makes me an old person. But they were coming up asking for Travelling Soldier. And it's a nightclub. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not singing that. That's a depressing yeah. song. But they kept asking. So I said, right, I'll, I'll try it. And it went nuts. It's it's up there in the realms of Tennessee whiskey now, Chris Taylor. Unbelievable. And, stuff, yeah, and, yeah. and then I went to Limerick. I played Nancy's on a Sunday, and they went nuts. And I said, "There's something here." And then none of the big lads had recorded it. No Nathan Carters, no no Mike Denver's. And I said, "Right, we'll record it." And um, so we recorded it. And then the space between recording it and recording the video, which we recorded on the Bullman, down in Kinsale, about four or five other people released it. So ah. everyone was like, oh, you're only jumping on the bandwagon, but we recorded it first, mate. You recorded it first. <laughs> let's, let's get to it before we run out of time, okay. shall we? Sorry, I talk forever. Two days past 18, he was waiting on a bus in this army green, sat down in a booth. A cafe there gave his order to a girl with the bow in her 
her hair. He's a little shy, so she gave him a smile. Said, oh, would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me? Feeling a little alone. She said, I'm off in an hour and I know where we can go. Sat on the pier and said, I bet she got a boyfriend, but I don't care. I got no one to send a letter to. Would you mind if I sent one back here to you? And they told her, waiting for a love of a traveling soldier. Our love would never end, waiting for a soldier to come back again. Never more to be alone, when a letter said, a soldier's coming home. So the letters came from an army camp in California, then Vietnam, and he told her of his heart might be love, all of the things he was so scared of, said when it's getting kind of rough over here, I sit and think about that day on the pier, and I close my eyes, see your pretty smile, don't worry, but I won't be able to ride for a while. traveling soldier our love would never end waiting for a soldier to come back again never more to be alone when a letter said a soldier's coming home football game the Lord's prayer said and the anthem sang and the man said folks to buy your head for a listen local Vietnam crying all alone underneath the sand was a piccolo player in the marching band and one named Red nobody really cared said the pretty little girl The ball in her hand. I cried, never gonna hold the hand of another guy. Too young for him, they told her. Waiting for a love of a traveling soldier. Our love would never end. Waiting for a soldier to come back again. Never more to be alone. When a letter said, a soldier's coming, I, I, I cried, never gonna hold the hand of another guy. Too young for him, they told her, waiting for a love of a traveling soldier. That is quality. Thanks to Owen Hennessy and Live Music uh, Promotions for sending us Pat uh, Fitz in studio. Thanks, Owen. With his lovely wife, Ashley. Thank you. And that is a serious version of that Dixie Chick song. So well done, guys. Time's against me. Got to go to the competition. Uh, for Free Food Friday, hello to Colette. Hi, Colette.
Hi, Nick. How are you? You're in patient admissions in South Infirmary. We're sending uh, the Red Patrollers to you. We're going to feed 15 with all of the fine fare of Roosters Piri Piri in uh, Douglas and Blackpool. Chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, chicken wraps, chicken pithers, beef burgers, piri so you name it. We're going to send it to you. Give us a shout out down the phone. <laughs> Well done, guys. Look forward to that and enjoy it, won't you? Okay, we'll open the lines for afternoon tea for two people. Caller nine, please, for the Metropole Hotel. It looks sumptuous. Uh, give us a call, uh, 0818-104-106. My thanks to the Neil Prendervich Show production team, Kevin Galvin, Claire O'Connor, and to Lee, who's been uh, running in and out of paper to me all morning. See you, Pat Fitz. See you, Ashley. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you Monday morning. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.